Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play, play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today. In the world of sports, que pasa mi amigos, mi llamo a Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, what's going on? What's happening? Bonjour, bonsoir. Monsieur Matt Blazella, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Namaste, shalom, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. And I hope that you're doing fantastic. I hope that you're living life well. I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make this world, to make your block, to make your community, to make everybody you come in touch with a much better person than when... You met them before. Let's go ahead and let's keep that momentum going toward unity, toward harmony, toward understanding. We can do it. We got to do it. Do it for your children. Do it for their children. Do it for their children. And so on and so forth. We can do it. We can get it done. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. So glad that you could be with us. Wendell Wallace here, giving you what I've got, which is almost everything that I have to talk about what's happening in the world of sports. So what we're going to talk about, man, what do you want to start with? You want to go with J.J. Watt and the Arizona Cardinals? You want to go ahead and start with that? Maybe a little bit later, get into some NBA talk, maybe a little bit later. Simone Biles um, was on Twitter. This might be something where the expiration date is a little bit old on this story, but I wanted to talk about it anyway because she was naming some names in terms of when people were speaking about the greatest athletes of all time and Mainly people are talking about Michael Jordan. They're talking about Floyd Mayweather Jr. Why? I don't know him. But they're talking about the, all of these great uh, athletes. And Simone Biles was like, hey, man, look, y'all are talking about this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Whoa, I'm sure that um, there, you might be able to fit some females in there. So that was a discussion that got started. And I was very appreciative of her to go ahead and to mention the fact that if we're speaking about the greatest athlete of all time that supersedes all genders and that type of thing. So you can't go with the old, well, of course, a man is going to be a better athlete than a woman, especially if they're speaking about a world-class male athlete. Of course, it's going to be better than a male-class woman athlete. Well, no, 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 no. If we're speaking about the greatest athletes of all time, regardless of gender, those who have made an impact, those who have been excellent in their sports, those who have been regarded the best of all time, regardless of what sport they played, then yes, you're going to have to definitely include the women in. I'm glad that uh, Simone pointed that out, and I'm glad that ESPN admitted the fact that they were wrong, but I must uh, have to say one thing, get into it a little bit later on in the podcast. Man, for the folks, and this all started with uh, someone posting something on Twitter about Tom Brady being the GOAT, and this this is how that, you know, rock started rolling down the hill toward this discussion, but I'm thinking, man, you know what, um, Simone, love you, awesome job in this situation, and everybody else who's debating this, but damn, can y'all go a little bit farther, can y'all go a little bit more into the past and say 1995, it's like Jordan, and then you go straight to the 21st century, 
And I'm not talking about duck doctors either. I'm just talking about these athletes. Can we go a little bit farther? Can we be a little bit more educated? This is the reason why I keep saying that there's some sports athletes, that there's some people playing sports that should be talked about in the, in the school classroom, in the, that should have their name and what they did in the school books that should be talked about in the history classes. And I'm not just talking about Cinco de Mayo. I'm not just talking about during uh, Black History Month. I'm not talking about the last semester where there's only four weeks of school. That's when these uh, history classes normally get to the civil rights movement. They talk about Martin Luther King and they talk about uh, Rosa Parks and they talk about the uh, that type of deal, which they should, but damn, there's just so much more. And people ain't bringing up Joe Lewis. People ain't bringing up Jesse Owens. People ain't bringing up Jack Johnson. People ain't bringing up all of these other great athletes. And let's just expand even more when we're speaking about the greatest athletes of all time. No one's talking about Jack Dempsey. No one's talking about Wayne Gretzky. No one's talking about Babe Ruth. No one's talking about Ted Williams. No one's talking about Bruce Jenner before he became Caitlin. Bruce Jenner, no one's talking about those guys. Again, I'm, I'm glad Simone, and look, you know, Simone is a little bit younger than me a lot. And, you know, her experiences did that and the other. But damn, man, someone give these folks who are making up these goats of all time. You had Ali, Jordan, and then everybody else was from the 21st century. Can we please open up some books? Can we please go to YouTube? Can we please go to YouTube or Google and type in the name Joe Lewis and watch a documentary? Can we please type in the name Jesse Owens and watch a documentary? Can we please look up Unforgivable Blackness by with Jack Johnson, the documentary by Ken Burns, and learn something? Can we please go to any numerous sports entries that were done by ESPN and take a look and look up and learn about Babe Ruth and learn about Josh Gibson and learn about Hank Greenberg and learn about Mark Spitz and learn about Bruce Jenner and learn about Kurt Flood and learn about all of these unbelievable uh, athletes. We can learn about Stan Musial. We can learn about Ted Williams. We can learn about Rocky Marciano. We can learn about Sugar Ray Robinson. We can learn about all of these other GOATs who really, if you think about it, as of right now, were more impactful than the GOATs of the 21st century. So we could go ahead and do that. Again, not shaming but damn, you can't put in the Williams sisters and not include Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King and Althea Gibson and Margaret Court and Steffi Graf. You can't do it. You can't do it. Can't do it. And my name ain't Mike Singletary. So just a little bit broader recognition of who the goats are. So many, so many to choose from that uh, we need to expand more than just those who were doing their thing 10, 15, five years ago. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So I'll be speaking about that probably the last segment of the program. Again, also speaking about the NBA. And also got a little something with my Georgetown Hoyas. Won four of their last five games. Good victory last night against Xavier. Of course, I was uh, a little bit perturbed the way they closed the game. But unlike earlier in the season where... I made the correct statement that if there was a team that was, uh, that if you had to choose an NCAA tournament team and seat the teams that uh, were the best chokers, the best uh, basketball team that didn't know what the hell they were doing when a game got close, the Georgetown Hoyas earlier in the season would have been the number one seat with a bullet. They would have been the, the Gonzaga 
of college basketball in terms of being absolutely clueless in a close game late in the second half if the NCAA seedings were based on that. Georgetown would be the odds-on favorite without a doubt to win that tournament. The tournament of the most clueless basketball team when the times get tough, when we're speaking about when they first got together. But despite their um, missteps at the end of the Xavier game, thank you, Chudier Bile. Thank you, Jamarco Pickett, for uh, bailing us out and allowing us to win the game. And America's coach, Patrick Ewing, look, he ain't going to get, uh, he shouldn't, he shouldn't get coach of the year in anything. But damn it, he should get the recognition about what he's done with his team. And it's funny because you hear all these knuckleheads and you hear all these folks who quote unquote cover NCAA basketball, right? They do this for a living. And they can tell you about all of the sleeper teams and they can tell you about the mid-majors and they can go ahead and their wealth of knowledge about college basketball is vast. And they can tell you the best teams and what they're doing and all those type of things. Mad respect for the, those guys and their knowledge and their hard work and their experience in dealing with college basketball. I, I listen to them to learn so I can get the nuggets. So if I'm watching a college basketball game and I've heard them talk about a team and what their strengths and weaknesses are and what guy is doing this and what guy is doing that and what type of uh, offense they run and all of those type of things. When I'm watching those games, when I'm watching those college basketball games or football games or NBA games or whatever, I kind of tend to kind of look toward that while I'm watching the game to either say they're right on or they're nonsensical or whatever. But it's just giving me something to kind of look on so I can build from what they're saying, and I can build my own knowledge based on what I'm seeing and, and those type of things. So this is not a slight. This is not to say that the folks who are um, talking bad about Patrick Ewing and Georgetown don't know anything about basketball. On the whole, they know a lot more than I do. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there's no way they follow and watch more basketball, Georgetown basketball, than I do. You would have to be some type of masochist, or you would have to be someone who just loves watching their eyes bleed, or you must enjoy pain to the utmost to watch uh, Georgetown basketball on a, a regular basis. It ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. But that's my team. I love those guys. I love my team. Got uh, the John Thompson book that I'm uh, going to be uh, going to be listening to here once I find a little time. So, you know, I love Georgetown. There ain't nothing more important to me sports-wise than Georgetown basketball. So I know what's going on with my Georgetown basketball, with my Georgetown Hoyas. So when I hear people talk about, oh, you know, Patrick Ewing's a joke, and Patrick Ewing ain't getting it done, and Patrick Ewing needs to be fired, and Patrick Ewing can't do this, and Patrick Ewing can't do that, from people who I respect with their basketball knowledge, I say, evidently, you ain't watching these games. Obviously, you ain't really in tune to what's going on with Patrick, what Patrick Ewing is doing. And the job that he did this season, with the talent that he has this season, garners that he should be getting some mention in terms of Big East Coach of the Year and not National Coach of the Year, but an attaboy for uh, what he's done with this team. So I'll I'll get into that a little bit later on in the podcast. So there's a lot of things that uh, I want to get into. And also, Russell Wilson, man, what the hell is going on with this guy, man? Are you coming? Are you going? Do you want to play? Do you want to play for Vegas or Chicago or Seattle? Or, I mean, what exactly are you angry about? You're on 
you're on Insta cheat or, or on Facegram or whatever the hell they call it on social media doing your thing. Well, what exactly do you want, Russell? Stop it. Stop with the LeBron. Stop trying to be the LeBron James of the NFL where you're not giving us these clear cut. I want this. I need that. I need this. It's this passive aggressive, like, you know, well, I'm not going to say that we need this, that, and the other, but my actions are going to kind of hint that I want this, that, and the other done. Man, just come on out and say it. I'm so glad that Deshaun Watson finally said, look, I want to be traded from the Houston, Texas. I'm not having my agent say it. I'm not having my boys say it. I'm not having my family members say it. I'm coming out and I'm letting everybody know it is done. And as I mentioned before, when you're with a female, if you're in a relationship with a female and you love that female and you're thinking about marrying that female or you can't believe that life can be anything worthwhile without that female and you feel that that female is leaving you or she might be having eyes for somebody else, you ain't going to believe you, you know, Marvin Gaye can come up to you. Marvin Gaye and Gladys Knight and the Pips can come up to you singing. I've heard it through the grapevine. Not much longer. Will you be mine? And you'll never believe it. They'll dig Percy grave out of his, they'll bring, you know, dig Percy sledge out of his grave for you to say, when a man loves a woman, and you'll be like, amen, brother. I hear what you're talking about. What I'm trying to say is that unless that woman tells you, look, we're done. We're finished. I want to move on, have a nice life, whatever. Until that female tells you that, you ain't going to believe it. And sometimes she's going to have to tell you that like 5, 6, 10, 20, 50 times. We're done. We're finished. Stop calling me. Stop texting me. Stop Facebook requesting me. Enough. We're done. We're finished. I am telling to your face. I ain't having my girlfriend tell you. I ain't having my boy tell you. I ain't having my cousin tell you. I ain't having any other of my family members tell you. I'm not going to put it on a tweet. I'm not going to do it by defriending you. I'm not going to do it by not returning any of your calls or your texts. I am telling you straight to your face, we are done. Until that female tells you that, if you are madly in love with that female, you are still going to believe that somehow there's a chance. Somehow there might be a way. I don't know what it is. Maybe I can go ahead and watch some more porn so I can get better in bed. Maybe I can go ahead and shower her with more gifts. Maybe I can be more sensitive to her needs. Maybe I can, if we ever get back together, you know, rub her feet and, 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 and give her seven different kinds of meats. I, whatever it is, I want to try to do something. Until that female says, no, 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 you ain't going to believe it. And I think for a long time, the Houston Texans were like, hey, look, you know, I heard this person say it and I've heard... On this new ca newscast, this person say it, and I heard the Mike Greenberg, Mike Greenberg show say they say it, and I heard the Shannon and Skip show saying that Deshaun Watson. I've heard it from everybody except Deshaun Watson. So until I hear from Deshaun Watson, I'm going to still believe that there's a chance. I'm still going to believe that I can go ahead and if there's any type of tumult or if there's any type of misunderstanding or if there's any some type of uh, error in this relationship, that I can go in there. And I can talk to Deshaun, and I can say, Deshaun, look in my eyes. Look at my body language. Listen to the tone of my voice. I ain't too proud to beg. I am not too proud, proud to beg. Tell me what I need to do. Ain't too proud to beg, girl. Ain't too proud to beg. Let me tell you something. I can change the, I, I can do anything that I want to do. Please, let me, let me, t let me do what I need to do. To salvage this relationship. That's what the thinking is. That's what Nick Casario is thinking. 
That's what David Cully is thinking. I'll come in with my charm and my and my 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 yearning, and Deshaun will be like, "Oh, okay, he's a great kid. He'll be able to do that." But when Deshaun says, "No, we're done. Finish, finito." What are you gonna do? The same thing with Russell Wilson. If I'm the Seahawks, I'm like, "Look, man, do you want to be here or not? You're a great quarterback. You're a Super Bowl winning quarterback. You're a franchise quarterback." You're a top, anywhere between top four to eight type quarterback. What do you want? Do you want to be here or not? Because we got a guy who's going to be in his prime for the next maybe seven to 11 years. He's going to hold that stature of being an elite quarterback, of being a guy that can lead us to the Super Bowl. A, a guy that, you know what, we don't need to invest too much into getting a top flight offensive tackle or a top-flight tight end, or a top-flight running back. Why? Because we have Russell Wilson to make up for all of those um, uh, negatives, for all of those uh, maladies that we have on the team. He's that good. So we can maybe concentrate on building a better defense, or, or, or in that matter, because we don't need to go out and pay oogles of money for uh, an all-pro wide receiver. We can get somebody. We have DK Metcalf that we can turn into an all-pro wide receiver. We have other parts around. We don't need to have Derrick Henry or we don't need to go ahead and go crazy and try to make a trade for Christian McCaffrey. Why? Because we have Russell Wilson. And as long as we have Russell Wilson, we can kind of scrimp on some of the offensive skill players and load up on some other team needs. That's what Russell Wilson presents, uh, presents to you. And that's what Russell Wilson can be for Seattle for the next five to seven years. So, yeah, I can understand where if you're the Seahawks, you're like, hey, man, I want to uh, hold on to you. But if you're going to go ahead and you're, if you're not, if you don't want to be here and you're going to be destructing our program while doing it, then it's time for us to move on. And it's time for us to maybe call Chicago, maybe call the New York Jets, maybe call the Las Vegas Raiders and uh, see what we can do about moving on from this. So, yeah, those are the things that I'm going to be talking about. Those are the things that I'm going to be speaking about. Those are the things that I'm going to be pontificating on. Those are the things I'm going to be giving you my opinions on here on the Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. Man, I am pumped. Man, I am ready. Man, I am moving. Man, I am grooving. Every day my style is improving. Let's go, man. Let's get it done. Let's start right now. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Getting down and what's talking about what's happening in the world of sports. Had a great day today. Was substituting remote, of course, because of the coronavirus. Still 
here in my humble abode in my town home here in northwest Washington. Northwest Washington, I wish. Northwest uh, uh, Las Vegas. Freudian slip. So, um, yeah, had a good day. Always good when you're substituting seniors, especially right now. you got a couple of more months left to go in class or before the school ends here in Clark County. So, for the most part, when you get down to March, it's like the, the seniors have basically checked out. They're, they're ready to go. They're ready to graduate. They're pretty much done with school, especially when you get them after spring break. Our spring break ends uh, April 6th. So they come back April 6th. The school year ends or graduation is on, I believe, May 25th. So that's when they really check out. That's when it's kind of like, you know what, teacher, screw you. I'm not doing it, this, that, and the other. So it's like they're in chill mode. They're in whatever mode. They're sick of school. They're ready to move on, whether it be college, whether it be a job. Just the whole deal. These guys have been in school now for 12 straight years. And it's like, I'm done. I am finito. So it's always, always interesting to uh, deal with the seniors at that time. And you know, you go to some of the more um, challenging schools at this time. And some of the more um, challenging neighborhoods here in Las Vegas. It's always funny because if you get an opportunity to, if you're a substitute, to snag a senior class. Uh, at one of these um, schools where it's a, uh, some of the students are uh, <clears throat> challenging, you know that of those students that are just going to be a pain in the ass that are seniors, you know, A, they're, they're through, they're done with it, so they're not going to give you any grief, they're not going to give you any bullshit, and B, if they're not going to graduate by this time, or they know they're not going to graduate, they're just not going to show up. Especially if you have a first or second period class, where school out here starts at 7 a.m., the kids who don't give a damn about school and know they're not going to graduate, they've checked out, man. They're not going to be showing up to your first period at 7 o'clock. So if I have a class size of 32, and we're speaking about any type of class in some of the more challenging areas in Clark County, and at some of them schools, and it's a senior class, out of them 32 seniors, I know I know that 16 to 18 ain't going to show up, especially if you're talking about first period. You know they ain't going to show up. So it's like always interesting to uh, take a look. I remember I did a long-term job down at one of the rural schools years ago. I'm talking about seven, eight years ago, somewhere like that. And um, I was doing a special needs class. Not like, not, not in class, like they can only stay in class, but kids who needed extra help. They had um, behavioral issues, you know. You say no to them; they tell you to go fuck yourself. One of those type of one of those type of situations. God rest Cliff Anderson and Fran Boucher, who I would substitute for. And uh, there was a kid in this class, just a real loser. Um, and he was a senior, and you know, waste of space, wasn't doing anything, didn't care, just whatever. And I remember, you know, me and him had our back and forth, you know, that type of thing. Because he would try to bully kids and he would, uh, you know, try to make fun of the females. And he would pick on the freshman, a senior, a senior who's 18 years old. And he's trying to pick on freshmen because all of his, he was so far behind in his classes that most of his classes were either dealing with freshmen or they were dealing with seniors. And because of the seniors, with him being a senior, he didn't mess with them because he knew messing with them seniors, he would get his ass whooped. So he left them alone. He would just be in the corner and not do anything and just kind of do nothing. But, man, when you get him in one of these small classrooms for the self-help classes that I was substituting for, 
And, you know, you get him around, you know, a bunch of 14-year-olds. You know, all he would do is make fun of the girls. And he would, you know, you know, try to make fun of the uh, fellas. And I was like, man, why don't you go to, to uh, Mr. Eaton's class when I substitute there? And why don't you make fun of them kids? Why don't you go ahead and treat treat uh, uh, some of them high school seniors like the way you treat Devin and see what happens to you? Yeah, I know you wouldn't because some of them kids wouldn't be putting up with your nonsense. So one day, I was, during my prep, I was walking the hallways. And I saw him walking around out of the class. And I knew what class he had because I had substituted for that teacher before. And I knew what class he had. And I knew that he didn't like the teacher. And I knew he didn't like the students. And I knew all he did was cause trouble. I knew all of these things. Because I've been in there a multitude of times to a substitute for Mr. Anderson. So I, I, I knew, period four, I knew that guy, and I knew who was in the class, and I had seen that show over and over again with him, and I always knew that he would get bored, and he would want to walk around the hallways, and I didn't want to deal with this punk ass, so I was like, go ahead. So he's walking around the hallways, I was substituting for another class, I saw him walking in the hallways, and I'll just call up John, I'm not gonna say, I don't even remember what the kid's name is, I think his name started with a C or D, I don't know, who knows, if, he's, if his name started with an F, it would have been perfect because that would have been matching his uh, his grades. So I came over to him. I'll just call him John. I said, John, John, come here. Come here. Come here. You're Mr. Wallace. I said, John, hey, man. And there was like, I think, four or five weeks left to go to school. It was right after um, spring break. I was like, John, let me ask you a question, man. What, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why are you in school? Are you just bored and you don't want to be staying at home, so you just thought you'd come here just to entertain yourself? I, I don't understand it, man. Why don't you do this? Because, look, you ain't going to graduate. I know you're not going to graduate. I've seen your grades. I know what you're getting. There's four weeks left, four or five weeks left to go in school. You're not going to graduate. So why don't you do this? You're always complaining about, A, you don't have enough money. He worked down at the movie theater. You're always complaining about, A, you don't get enough hours at the movie theater because you have to go to school, and you don't like the fact that you're not making the money. You're not making enough money. And B, I know that you love your girlfriend. This guy actually had a girlfriend. Women or girls. But um, he was like, so I know the two complaints that you're always talking about is A, you don't make enough money and you need more hours at work. And B, you need to spend more time with your girlfriend. Man, so, so do this. You need to drop out. You, you don't need to be going to school anymore. You're not going to graduate. You're wasting your time. You're wasting the teacher's time. You're wasting the student's time. Do this, man. Drop out. See what you can do to up your hours at the um, movie theater. And when you're ready to go back to school, if that ever happens, whether it be next year, five years, ten years, whatever, then come back and get your GED or go, go get your, come back and get your diploma, whatever that is. But right now, you're just wasting your time coming here. You don't like being here. The teachers don't like you being here. Quite frankly, I don't like you being here. None of the students like you. None of the seniors will talk to you. You're not going to graduate. You get on the freshmen's nerves. Them girls and their freshmen that you think that you're so cool with, they don't like you. They think you're, clown. you're a clown. So do this, man. Just drop out. See what you can do about getting more hours at work so you can get more money. Work your butt off down there. So possibly, you know what? If you show a good attitude, if you show good work ethic, if you show that you care, guess what, man? You'll get an opportunity to maybe move up the supervisor, which could be even more money for you. And then that'll open up more opportunities for you. And then maybe by that time, you'll be at the point in your life where you'll say, you know what? I want to go ahead and go ahead and get my uh, GED or I want to go ahead and get my high school diploma because that will open up even more things for me. If you want to get out of this, 
I'm not going to say the name. I'm not going to say the town I was in. If you want to go ahead and get out of this area that you're in right now, man, you know, there'll be opportunities for you. But right now, you're just wasting your time. So why don't you just, why don't you just leave, man? Why don't you just get out of here and just do something else? And of course, he was, you know, in one ear, out the other. Eh, whatever, whatever, whatever. That was the last time I saw that kid. And I think that kid did drop out. Now, I'm not saying my speech was the one that got him to drop out. I think that he was planning to do this. And it was a matter of, I said this to him as he was walking out the door to never come back. So my little speech there had nothing to do with him going, hmm, you know what? I was going to try to uh, say stay for the entire semester. But with all of these good ideas Mr. Wallace gave me, I think maybe I'll go ahead and change plans. Now, he was going. Now, all of that stuff I said about, you know, trying to get more hours at the movie theater, working hard, doing the best that you can so you could be uh, promoted and and uh, maybe become a supervisor or maybe become a manager or all of those type of things. I don't think the guy had the maturity or the mental capacity to do those things. So I don't know what that kid is doing right now. If he's not in jail, um, I don't know what he's doing. If you told me he was in jail... If you told me that he was hanging out doing nothing on the streets down there, just wasting time, or still working 15 hours a week selling popcorn and candy at the movie theater, I'd believe it. And that kid right now is probably about 25, 26, 77 years old, so he's a man. So it wouldn't be surprising if uh, he's out there doing nothing, running from child support, and just being a waste of space. But who knows, man? Who knows? Things change. Anything can change, and uh, I hope that's the best for him. But that's my story about the class today and just heading down toward the end of the school year here in Clark County, the interesting dynamics that go with these kids today, man. And, you know, not today, but just I haven't been 18 in a long time. So, uh, you know, to see the attitude and see the, the, the movings and the goings and the shakings and the, and the chi and all that kind of stuff of these kids, always interesting. One of the reasons why I love being in the classroom and dealing with uh, dealing with the uh, minders so much. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let's get to J.J. Watt. Let's do it, baby! Signs with Arizona. Terms were not disclosed, but a source called, uh, told ESPN, Adam Schefter, that the deal is worth $31 million, Includes a $23 million, uh, not signing bonus, but $23 million of that is guaranteed over two years. Now, Watt picked the Cardinals on Monday, this past Monday, from a group of four or five finalists after an aggressive recruitment by Arizona. And Watt said, he said, quote, it was certainly close when he was talking about making his defi- final decision, which he described as difficult. Quite sure that it was. For a guy who thought that he was going to be a long-time only team Houston Texans to be in this position that he's in right now. I can see where it could be a little surprising for a time that he's you know, ever had a situation like this before. So why choose Arizona? Why, oh, why? Well, one of the reasons he quoted or was emoting on is the fact that Vince Joseph, the Cardinals defensive coordinator, was the Texans defensive backs coach during J.J.'s first three years in the NFL. So for J.J., that was dynamite. I know, that was weak. Fastball right down the middle, had to swing. But um, Watt said Joseph runs a defensive scheme that's similar to the one that Watt played in under Wade Phillips in Houston, which he said is a scheme I'm very familiar with and very comfortable with and excited to play in. So, okay, that's number one. Familiarity with there. Also, 
Watt said the uh, reuniting with wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, his teammate with the Texans from the time Hopkins was drafted in 2013 until he was traded after the 2019 season, that also played a role in him choosing the Cardinals. And uh, I'm quite sure that, you know, his I don't know if it's his fiance or his wife, if it's, um, but, you know, I'm quite sure his wife had some things to say about that. And from being living in Arizona for four years, three years, and almost four years, say, look, you know, if you're if you're a white guy with a boatload of money, I mean, Scottsdale is the place for you to be beautiful up there. So I can I can understand the the lure that J.J. might have to play in Arizona and spend um a part of the year in that part of the uh, part of the region of the country. So good for him, man. Hope that he's happy with that. Another team that are interested in Watt, who were interested in the Watt, the Cleveland Browns. Now this is a, according to ESPN and multiple reports. There was never, it was never clear if Cleveland submitted an offer to Watt. And Cleveland.com reported last week that Watts had some mutual interest in signing with the Browns. So, I think it was a situation where maybe Cleveland didn't want to spend the money that Arizona was going to spend. But if I'm Miles Garrett, I'm sitting there going, damn, man, really? I could have had some help by having J.J. Watt on the other side of me, on the other side of the defensive line. Who are you going to double team in that situation? Who are you going to concentrate in that situation? It'll still be me, but I'm just saying it'll help the defensive line because that'll free up uh, J.J. to go ahead and get some pressure on that quarterback, on them quarterbacks. I think it was a big miss for it. Cleveland in this situation. Again, maybe they just didn't come to the table in terms of the offer that they heard that Arizona was going to be um, offering to JJ. So the Texans, so the Browns were like, yeah, moving on. But man, to see him and Miles Garrett on the same defensive line, that would have been nice if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. The Pittsburgh Steelers were, quote unquote, in the mix for Watt and tried to re- reunite Watt with his brothers TJ and Derek, both of whom play in Houston. They would have been reunited because it would feel so good. According to ESPN, Jeremy Fowler, he said that the Steelers were quote-unquote in the mix and tried to reunite Watt with his brothers, TJ and Derek, both who played for Pittsburgh. Watt would have welcomed playing with his brothers, but two things happened. Number one, the Cardinals offered more money, and the Steelers (laughs) came through and was like, well, hey, look, man, you know, we're... 30-something million dollars over the cap or way over the cap, and we have to deal with Ben Roethlisberger's uh, restructuring of his contract. So when everything is all said and done, J.J. getting two years, 31 mil from Arizona, 23 of it's guaranteed. Don't know if we can make that happen. And if we can make that happen in terms of getting close to that number, look, I think if you break it all down, I think Arizona is closer to winning a championship right now than Pittsburgh. And I'm not saying that Arizona is a clear-cut favorite even with J.J. Watt or even part of the upper echelon of teams that can win a Super Bowl. But if you were going to ask me, if I were J.J. and everything being, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't go back to Arizona if you paid me the amount of money we owe China. But if I was in J.J. Watt's situation that I was J.J. Watt, I mean, we're speaking about $23 million guaranteed. The incentives could raise that to 31 mil. I get to play with Vance Joseph. I get to do some other things. And again, I take a look at the Steelers. And I take a look at their situation at quarterback. Which one are you going to go to? In terms of just the organization that's going to give you a better chance to win. Now, 
what group of owners or what owners do you trust more? What owner do you trust more? Uh, the Roonies or the Bidwells? Well, history shows that if you're looking to go to an organization that's going to take care of you and build a team that's going to be competing for championships and being part of playoffs and those type of things, that you would move toward the Pittsburgh Steelers. But man, take a look at what the Steelers are dealing with right now. They have to restructure Roethlisberger's contract, start the process of finding his replacement through the draft, through free agency, through a, through a trade. We don't know what's going to be happening with that. I Highly doubt that Pittsburgh and Roethlisberger are going to be in a relationship, working relationship for the 2022 season. They're going to be begging and pleading and praying that hopefully Roethlisberger will, this will be his final year and either he'll retire or depending upon what type of year that he has, that maybe the Steelers organization and Roethlisberger can agree to go their separate ways. Um, but look, you have an opportunity or you have in, in Pittsburgh's situation the Roethlisberger uh, uh, restructuring. You have, what are we going to do about the quarterback for the future? I mean, the near future. What are they going to do about re-signing or replacing James Conner? They're only running back worth a damn. Juju Smith-Schuster. Alejandro Villanueva. They're starting left tackle. So I think when everything is all said and done, and as, and as I mentioned before, Pittsburgh's over the salary cap, so they're not going to be able to lure any type of big-time free agents. The opportunity for them to lose Bud Dupree, I mean, yeah, that's Steelers' defense is still going to be good because you got T.J. Watt and you've still got uh, Micah Fitzpatrick and you still got the playmakers on that side of the ball. But on offense, the offensive line is going to be a mess. Your wide receiver core just got depleted, even though I think that they'll still be solid. And you don't have a you don't have a running game to help a quarterback who's going to be 38, 39 years old who can't move anymore and can't throw the ball deep with any type of consistency or accuracy. So if you're JJ, it's like, yeah, bro, I mean, you know, we can FaceTime and we can Zoom and do all those things. But, um, you know, I see you enough in the offseason. I don't need to be spending any more time with you if we're going to be part of a rebuilding process. So I can see where, again, there was a mutual interest because of the brother angle. But when you took a look at both the money and the situation, for the near future, I can understand why he chose, J.J. chose, the Arizona Cardinals over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Tennessee Titans, speaking of teams that were interested in J.J., they showed some interest. Titans general manager, John Robinson. No, not the... <laughs> God damn, man. These, these fastballs right down the middle. I can't help but swing. I can't take a... I can't take a 92-mile-per-hour fastball right down the plate on a 3-0 count. I can't take this. But general manager John Robinson, no, not the John Robinson who coached the Rams in USC, ha, 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 said he contacted Watt to explore the possibility. So the Titans definitely need a pass rusher. They had only 19 sacks last season, which was tied for the fewest of any playoff team in NFL history. So last season, the Titans signed pass rushers Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley, formerly of Atlanta, but they weren't any good. They were free agent flops. So moving on, I don't know if Tennessee's going to address that in the in the draft or whatever. But uh, yeah, to add J.J. Watt, even a past his expiration date for being an absolute monster of a defensive end, J.J. Watt. Even if you're going to have a diminished J.J. Watt from what he was at his peak for a year or two, that would have been a huge upgrade for a team in Tennessee who 
has the uh, tools to make some noise in the playoff because they have a running back, strong offensive line, good quarterback, and good wide receivers. Offense, they're fine. Maybe use a little help on the offensive line, but for the most part, they're good. It's just the defense that needs some work. J.J. would have helped, but again, I take a look at, you take a look at, we take a look at, come on, both of us take a look. What do you see? Yeah, Arizona's a better fit in terms of what team is better than the Tennessee Titans. And, I mean, we're speaking about maybe his wife says Phoenix, Arizona, Nashville, Tennessee. Eh. So, there we go. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. JJ still has some productive years left. So what are we looking at here? Where are we going here? Talked about it before when JJ was first released from the Houston Texans. Where is he going to go? What does he want to do? I thought that ultimately he would end up in Buffalo. If it was strictly just based on, I want to get to a place where I can win a Super Bowl. Yeah, you go to Kansas City or you go to Tampa. I get that. But if you're speaking about opportunity to win championship, how much money can they give me? I would think the best combination for that, I don't know, there wasn't any reporting about how much Buffalo was going to be offering. I knew there was some interest, but it never came out in terms of how much Buffalo was going to offer. But it's like, all right, cost of living in Arizona, not bad. Cost of living in Buffalo, a lot better. Tax structure, tax situation, don't know between Arizona and New York. But you take a look at just the aspects of what team is going to get me closer. If it's all about numero uno, uh, about winning a Super Bowl, wouldn't you say that the Buffalo Bills were that team? They need an upgrade on defense along with the running backs, maybe with another wide receiver to help Stephon Diggs. But, man, you're talking about a team in the Buffalo, Buffalo Bills with an ascending quarterback who played like a top three player in the league this past season in Josh Allen, a true bona fide number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs who could rival DeAndre Hopkins in terms of the impact that he could have on his team toward winning, a really good coach in Sean McDermott, a really good defensive coordinator in Leslie Frazier. Now, the schemes and everything as far as what they would run and what would best fit J.J.? Don't know about that, but I'm just thinking, man, if I'm that guy, i take a serious look at the Buffalo Bills. Maybe he did. And maybe Buffalo was like, can't help you. And I mentioned before, the money that Arizona was throwing out, hard to uh, say no to that. So Watt still has some protective, some productive years left if he could, if he could just remain relatively healthy. Look, last season... And see, look, last season, according to ESPN stats and information, he was JJ ranked 15th out of 119 qualified pass rushers in pass rush win rate, and he also finished the season with five sacks, two forced fumbles, and an interception. He returned for a touchdown, despite being the only guy worth a damn on that horrendous Houston Texans defense. Take a look at the Hall of Fame resume: five-time Pro Bowler, Defensive Player of the Year three times. Led the NFL in sacks twice. I mean, the guy is uh, the guy is big booty raw, man. And uh, he's a great guy, great locker room guy. He'll do wonders for the community. He'll do wonders for the organization in that way. If he's 65%, JJ, if he's 60 to 65% of his prime years, he should make a notable difference. The only question I have, again, can the man stay healthy? 
He's only played 16 games in the season only twice since 2015. Back injuries, I think what, pectoral tear, all these type of things, uh, tricep tear, I think it was. So he's had a multitude of injuries that were serious. I mean, he didn't get the little Uchiawis. He's uh, had surgery. And when you're speaking about backs, again, I think that he'll be fine for this season. But after that, man, who knows? And, yeah, he could be used up and down the line. But do you really want to see J.J. be a three-down type of uh, defensive end? Depends upon what uh, Chandler Jones in Arizona and the other guys are going to be bringing for that squad. If he's going to be a three-down guy. I wouldn't use him in that situation. But I don't know. Because replenishing the past front four for the Cardinals, that was one of their most vital needs of the offseason. I don't know what they're going to do with Patrick Peterson. I don't know if they're going to bring him back or that situation. But when you have Hassan Reddick, he had 12 and a half sacks. Marcus Golden, he had four and a half sacks. They're both entering free agency. So the, the due diligence... And the emergency that the Cardinals felt to get J.J. Watt for by any means necessary was paramount because we don't know, you don't know, I don't know, none of us know if the Cardinals are going to be bringing back Reddick. So if they lose him because of free agency, what do the Cardinals have? A defensive line that just became weaker and they were weak to begin with. Chandler Jones, can he come back from injury? He's great when he plays. He's like J.J. Him and J.J. are among the league leaders in sacks over a period of time that they've played together. But two things they have in common, both for football, they're old, and number two, they've been injury-prone. So we're, we're counting on this marriage between Jones, Watt, the Cardinals organization and such, for we're, we're going to go on the assumption that Watt and Jones can stay healthy and maybe that they can go ahead and resign Reddick. Now, we don't know what the Cardinals are going to be doing in terms of you know, Larry Fitzgerald. Is he going to be continuing to play? If not, they're going to need a slot receiver. So there's some other things. Running back situation needs to be uh, talked about. The offensive line, Tyler, Kyler Murray took too many hits. And you need some more guys out there to help Murray out because – Outside of Russell Wilson, I don't know, in the Sean Watson, I don't know if there was any quarterback in the league that had more on his plate, more responsibilities, more impact on if they won or lost than Kyler Murray. And when you have Kyler Murray having four or five designated runs per game, and you're speaking about a guy that, I don't want to use the word small, but that's slight, not good. Not good. You, you, you need to do something there. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury needs to gradually put some, I don't know, NFL type of uh, philosophies into his game into his game plan. Which he's done since coming over from Texas Tech, but needs to do that a little bit more. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about J.J. Watt going over to the Arizona Cardinals. You got a healthy Chandler Jones. You got Buda Baker. And improving Isaiah Simmons. Simons, we don't know exactly how much he's going to improve the first round pick from the first round pick from uh, Clemson last year got better as the season went on but JJ should help so you take a look at this you take a look at the Arizona Cardinals now what do you think what impact does uh, JJ have in terms of the Cardinals winning championships in the next two years that's why I think his shelf life is good for 
over uh, playing in the uh, playing in the desert. Last season, Arizona finished it finished eight and eight. They missed the playoffs because they lost a tiebreaker to the Bears for the last spot in the, in the NFC, and Kyler Murray got injured. They lost five of their eight games by just one score. And three of those five one-score losses came by three or few, three or fewer points. So they were right there. That Hail Mary, Hail Murray that they had against Buffalo, that was awesome. One of the plays of the year. But eight and eight could have easily been ten and six. Could have easily been eleven and five. Hell, it could have been six and ten. Could have been seven and nine. What do we make of this? Is JJ the difference in that situation? I really don't have really didn't have the uh, time or the effort or the inclination to go back and thoroughly study exactly how they lost those games or won those close games. But was it basically on defense? Was it basically because of defense? And if that's the case, having J.J. Watt in there, would that make a difference? I don't know. The NFC West is there for the taking, though. Seattle won the division last season at 12-4, and but guess what? Great start to the season on offense. Defense sucked. Then after Buffalo beat them 44 to 34, things turned around. All of a sudden, the offense couldn't get going, but the defense turned out to be playoff worthy. So we don't know what the consistency is that going to be. Is the Seattle offense going to go back to the norm or the Seattle offense going to go back to what it was the first five or six games? What the relationship between Russell Wilson and the Seattle organization? Is he going to be traded? Is he going to stay? And if he's going to stay, what's going to be the relationship that he has with his teammates? Are they going to do anything about improving the offensive line, the running back, or the secondary position? What are we going to do with that? So Seattle, there's a lot of questions that I can understand. There's fans up there would remain sleepless. So you have that situation. The LA Rams, they were the wild card team at 10-6. and six. They should be the favorites to win the division, even with Arizona obtaining Watt. They went six and uh, ten and six last season at the wild card, basically with really no passing game to speak of, no down the field passing game to speak of. Well, that's been improved because the most important position of quarterback they upgraded by trading away Jared Goff or Matthew Stafford. They have two top fifteen players in the game, both on defense, and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. This should be a team that should be favored to win the division. They have the best, they have one of the best play callers in all of uh, football, which is uh, Sean McVay. You have a pretty solid uh, running game, so this should be a situation where the Rams should be ascending to them being serious contenders to win the uh, the, the, the National Football Conference. The San Francisco 49ers, Speaking about teams in the NFC West. They played much of their season without Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman, D. Ford, Javon Kinlaw, Deion Jordan, Jordan Willis. That defense was decimated. And what are they going to be doing at the quarterback position? Because obviously they feel that Jimmy G is more apt at dating porn stars than he is about um, leading the uh, team to possible victories in important games. Now we're speaking about a guy who was two years removed from being the quarterback who got San Francisco to the Super Bowl. And yeah, you can talk about the running game with the reason why. You can talk about that defense with the reason why. And that's true. But shit, I mean, I'm sorry. When we take a look at Super Bowl contenders during that era, Jimmy G was not Trent Dilfer. Jimmy G was not Brad Johnson. Jimmy G was not Kerry Collins. He wasn't much better than those guys. 
But still, how much faith do you have, especially when Garoppolo doesn't have a number one stud wide receiver to uh, pass it to? And we still, I mean, George Kittle was fine, but he was dealing with injuries a lot last season. So for the Cardinals, you take a look at it. You take a look at that. You take a look at what's going on in the NFC West and you say, it's there for us. It's there for us. Now, the pressure is going to be put on Cliff Kingsbury. Can he get it done? Is he good enough? He's entering a third year as the coach. Now we have some expectations. Before, it was a novelty. You got this guy from Texas Tech, no coaching experience in the NFL, kind of a fluky, dooky college offense. What's he going to do? The drafting of a quarterback who can run that collegey, fluky, dooky offense in Kyler Murray's slide of, uh, slide of build for being a quarterback in the NFL. Proving to be very well. I, I think the expectations for him coming into the season were, ooh, Kyler Murray could be that guy. You know, Kyler Murray could be the guy who ascends and we speak about him being, basically, Josh Allen did what many people thought Kyler Murray was going to do, which was to build on a very successful rookie season for a rookie quarterback and put him in the discussion at being a top five, six, seven, eight, nine quarterback in the game. I think he improved, but not to the point of where many people thought he was going to get to those who had the glass half full type of deal. So we'll see in that offense. Took a lot of hits, was injured, ran the ball a lot. But Cliff Kingsbury, it's on you. If you don't make the playoffs, could he be a candidate for hit the road, Jack, and you're not coming back no more, no more, no more, no more, at least in Arizona? Um, is he going to be that guy? He improved from 5-10-1 to 8-8 eight and eight last season. His first season was like, is this stuff going to work? Is he going to be a college coach? Is he going to be Chip Kelly? All right, the record wasn't good, but... I see him adjusting. I see him growing. I mean, he came into the league as a guy not uh, under the age of 40 as a head coach. No college, excuse me, no uh, pro coaching experience. Okay, all right. This and the other, he's improving. He's getting better. This might work. Then the acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins. All right, got to eight and eight. Was on the cusp of uh, being in a position to really get themselves into a playoff position. All right, down with the act- uh, the acquisition of J.J. Watt. What's going to be the expectations for Cliff Kingsbury in the Arizona Cardinals? I'll ask you, man. What's going to be your expectations for Cliff Kingsbury in the Arizona Cardinals? Is it is it uh, playoffs? Does Watt really mean that much? Is Watt really going to be that key, or is it going to be the key? What's more of a what's going to be more of a barometer? in terms of the Cardinals reaching the playoffs or really doing some work in the playoffs. Is it going to be how well J.J. Watt plays alongside Chandler Jones? Can those two uh, remain healthy? What about, uh, or is it going to be a situation where, look, Kyler Murray is going to have to take that next step. He's going to have to continue his ascension. I think that on his best days, there was a time where I thought that Kyler Murray should have been discussed, not given, but discussed, being the MVP. Disgust. I didn't say given. I didn't say being in the lead. I didn't say strong consideration. But I think he should have been mentioned until he fell off injuries, losing, that type of thing. So 
Is Kyler Murray, is the evolution of Kyler Murray, is that going to be the key? Because it's like, ooh, we got J.J. Watt. Now we're going to be doing, whoa, 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 whoa. Getting J.J. Watt don't mean shit if Kyler Murray is going to be injured. J.J. Watt doesn't, getting J.J. Watt don't mean shit if that offense continues to struggle like it did at points in time last season. So again, goes back to the offensive guru, which is Cliff Kingsbury. And if you combine his six seasons as coach, six or the, uh, uh, eight seasons, excuse me, this is going into his ninth season. He had six seasons at uh, Texas Tech. He had two seasons at Arizona. You know what his record is? When you take a look, when you combine his college and NFL coaching record, record he's a combined 48 and 58. In those eight seasons in which he's been a coach, two winning seasons, both of them at Texas Tech. His best record as a head coach was his first year there where he went eight and five. Now you can talk about, yeah, well, shit, it's Texas Tech. I mean, you play Oklahoma. You play those teams and see, well, see what your record's going to be. Okay. But still, did I mention that he also coached Patrick Mahomes for three seasons at Texas Tech, this quarterback guru? And yes, while we're speaking about the Big 12, so putting up 49, 56, 63 points is nothing that should be like awe-inspiring when you're speaking about the football conference being the Big 12. Just like it shouldn't be raising eyebrows or raising heads or slapping heads when the defense gives up that many. But still, with Patrick Mahomes, who's looking to be a generational great and all-time legendary quarterback, very quickly, by the way, it's not like he, uh, not like this is going into a seventh season and it took him five years under the tutelage of Andy Reid to finally get it. Nah, man, he came into a second season, you know, whooping ass, taking names and saying, I'm here to, uh, to do some things and set some records and be an all-time great. That was his second season. With that Patrick Mahomes... Kingsbury finished the three years that he had with him, 16 and 21. I don't know what will put you more on the hot seat, but if you can't win with Patrick Mahomes in college, yeah, but they didn't have the talent. Yeah, they were going up against five-star teams. Yeah, this, that, and the other. Again, if you're 16 and 21 and you have Patrick Mahomes, question mark, question mark, question mark whether you can get it done. I don't want to hear about Ruffin McNeil and he had a bad defense and all this kind of nonsense. 16 and 21 in his three seasons with Mahomes being the quarterback. Think about that. Wendell's World in Sports, think. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you be able to, you can be with us. You better think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Think, don't let yourself be free. R.I.P. Aretha Franklin. Hey, man, what's uh, going on in, in uh, Seattle? As I mentioned before, Russell Wilson. Does he want to be there? Does he want to be traded? What's going on? What's happening? Can you let us know? Because earlier in the week, Wilson's agent said that the Seahawks quarterback wants to be in Seattle and has not determined, not demanded a trade. But he also mentioned the four teams Wilson would be willing to join if the Hawks decided to trade him. What? Huh? Say what? Those four teams are Vegas, Dallas, New Orleans, and Chicago. So, so what? You know, I love you. I think you're great. I think you're awesome. But, <laughs> but you know, if someone else came around, <laughs> I, I want to be with you. I, really, I really, Sally from the Valley, 
I want to be with you. I really do. But, you know, if we get Cindy from the city comes along and she says, hello, and she drops her clothes off and spreads her legs. Hey, you know, and that's the type of deal that it is. Are you committed, Russell, or not? Do you want to be part of the program or not? Do you want to be part of the solution or not? Now, maybe his argument is, I am. I am trying to be, that's where this whole thing is stemming from. I am trying to be part of the team. I am trying to be part of the solution. I do want to be part of the Seahawks organization. So, But every time I try to, either I'm disrespected or ignored. And don't respect me. Don't disrespect me, man. Do not fucking disrespect me. I brought you motherfuckers a championship. I brought you conference championships. I brought you division titles. I brought you goodwill. I brought you the face of a franchise that you can be proud of. I brought you community service to the Seattle area. I brought you really good shit to that organization. Don't be fucking disrespecting me. Don't be doing that shit. And I feel disrespected. So as much as I want to be here, and why would you not want to live in Seattle? Despite the homeless problem that they're having right now, their inability to take care of it. But if you want to live out in Mercer Island and you have the money that Russell Wilson does and you don't have to deal with that bullshit, why would you not want to live in Seattle? Seattle's beautiful. Seattle is awesome. Seattle is green. Seattle is my type of city. Cloudy. Temperatures around eh, 60-70-ish. Change of seasons. Green. Lakes. Water. Rain, not too much sun all the time. Love it. Love it. People are listening to this podcast saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, Wendell. Wait, hold on for a second here. You live in Vegas. You live in a desert where it never rains. The sun's always out. The change of seasons are at minimal. And you're up here lauding on and on about how much you love Seattle because of the cloudy skies, because of the rain. Because of the lushness, because of the change of seasons, you're damn fucking right. The homeless problem, bad. Traffic, bad. Cost of living, bad. But if I was rich, if I could handle it, shit. And the fact that they have a lot of Asian women up there and I'm single, shit. You're damn right I'd be I'd be loving me some Seattle a lot more. Man, take me out to, uh, and if I had money to live on Mercer Island, like, um, like Russell Wilson does, Hey, man, stay in Seattle. Stay in Seattle. But, again, I don't know where he makes his all-season home, and um, I don't know how much disrespect that Wilson feels. Let's, let's take a look at his 2020 season. Week 1 through 5, I remember saying this on my podcast. Go back and look it up. I was sitting there talking about Russell Wilson MVP, Russell Wilson MVP. I was doing everything humanly possible to talk about Russell Wilson being the MVP. Russell Wilson is a, a fresh story. Russell Wilson has a great narrative. Russell Wilson has been in this league a Super Bowl champion and a pro bowler and all these type of things. Not once has he been, not once has he gotten a single vote for the MVP. Now look what he's doing for the first two, three, four, five weeks of the season. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's completing almost 73% of his passes. He's got a passer rating of almost 130. The Seahawks are right now 5-0 for the first time in franchise history. How can you not give this to Russell Wilson? How can you not give this to Russell Wilson, the MVP? Oh, shit, okay. I forgot about weeks 7 through 18, where Wilson threw 23 touchdowns, but 11 interceptions. 
He didn't complete 73% of his passes. He completed 65. Still pretty good, but it wasn't 73. And you also have to remember Aaron Rodgers. You have to remember Patrick Mahomes. You have to remember Josh Allen. So, ooh, 23 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 65% completion percentage, passer rating from 130 down to 93. And after that, after the week six bye, Seattle went 7-5 the rest of the season, losing a home wild card game to the Los Angeles Rams. And moving forward, as that season went along, near the end of that season, what was everybody talking about? Seattle's defense, Seattle's defense, Seattle's defense bailing them out. Seattle's defense is the reason why they won the game. Seattle's defense is the reason why the Seahawks were the champions of the NFC West. See, uh, that, that was the narrative. And there were some ugly games. That game against the New York Giants. Offense, ugly. The game against the, uh, St- the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Game, ugly. And I think after that Buffalo game where the... Seahawks were destroyed 44 to 34 in a game that wasn't that close. Mr. Conservative, Pete Carroll was like, we're never, we're no longer letting Russell cook. Russ is no longer cooking. He's been chopped. He didn't get through on guys' grocery games. You know, he, supermarket stakeout, he didn't get enough meals. He didn't, he didn't get enough food. He had to pack his knives and go. So we're, we're going to just run the ball off and let him be a facilitator and let him be a game manager. Russell Wilson does not want to be a game manager. He wants to be a superstar, like my man Luther Vandross, superstar, or like my man Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He wants to be up there with the Aaron Rodgers and the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allens and the Deshaun Watsons. He wants to be there. He wants to be up there with the Tom Brady. He wants to be up there with the Drew Breeses if he's going to retire or not. That's where he wants to be. And Seattle's holding him back. And I've said, you know, take a look at these teams, maybe with the exception of Chicago, and of course you get New Orleans. But New Orleans is in a herd of trouble too. If you take a look at Dallas, which ain't going to be happening, why in the fuck would he want to go to Dallas? If you come out here to Vegas, I mean, are those better situations? Are those guys closer to winning than the Seahawks? No. But for us, it's like, look, I'm a leader. I'm a champion. I'm the best quarterback in the motherfucking game. Ask me that question. I'll tell you the same. I'm the best quarterback there is going. So you put me on a team like the New Orleans Saints and put me in that same um, in that same facility, coaching facility as Sean Payton and see what I can do. He'll let me cook. John Gruden is going to let me cook. Shit, John Gruden won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson at the quarterback. John Gruden had Rich Gannon be the MVP when his career was nowhere close to that. Man, put me put me with that guy and watch me cook. Watch me do seven-course meals. Watch me turn into the Bobby Flay of NFL quarterbacks cooking. Watch me. That's his uh, attitude right there. And in Chicago, really, that's the only thing that I can uh, see where it's plausible, feasible, why if Wilson was looking to go somewhere, it would be Chicago. They have a strong running game, a great defense, and a number one wide receiver. So, all right. Who knows? Who knows? But the cap hit for trading or letting Russell Wilson go is, what, $39 million for Seattle? Are they, ready, are they ready to do that? But if it's going to go down like this, who should be more interested in trading? Who should be more interested for this becoming a situation where Wilson needs to be traded. 
Who wants to be traded more, Wilson? Or do the Seahawks want to trade him more feverishly than Wilson wants to be traded? Because you're taking a look and you say, for, you say for instance, shit, take a look at what the Detroit Lions got for Matthew Stafford. We got a quarterback who's much better on all lines. Younger, better, stronger, this, that, and the other. Take a look at what, um, who else got traded this year? Who else got traded this year? Do you know? Escaping right now, but basically, quarterbacks are being traded for a premium. Look at what people are lining up to uh, try to get Deshaun Watson. We've got we've got a quarterback here who we can use to rebuild our team. I mean, we can use him like the Dallas Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson use Herschel Walker. Look, we've got if you're Seattle, you're thinking, look, we've got a number of key players set to hit free agency. We've got Chris Carson, K.J. Wright, Shaquille Griffin, Quentin Dunbar. We need to upgrade. We need to get better. If you're a defensive guy like Pete Carroll, you know he does not want to have a shabby defense. What coach does, right? What coach is sitting up there going, yeah, we got ourselves a shabby defense. Woohoo! That's all me, baby. Of course. But what I'm saying is that being the defensive coordinating mind that, that Pete Carroll is, he's going to maybe geared towards the philosophy of defense wins championships. Take a look at Tampa Bay against Kansas City in the Super Bowl. So you have all these free agents set to hit. You don't have a first-round pick this year or next because you traded uh, for Jamal Adams. So if you go ahead and trade Russell Wilson, you might be in a position to get yourself a quarterback, i.e. call up the... New York Jets, or something like that. Interesting. Maybe we can talk Russell into maybe going to the New York Jets. If Russell's all about wanting to be a megastar and a superstar, what better place is there than New York City? If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? It's up to you, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. So, we'll see. But, I need to find out. I don't need to find out. I don't own the team. But it would be interesting to find out what the relationship is between Wilson and the teammates. Because, again, there's been some lingering disdain from his former teammates that was a good SI article in 2018 where basically it was like you have um, you have uh, the Bennett brothers and you have Richard Sherman. They do not like Russell Wilson. Now, they're no longer on the team, so who cares? But there's still some teammates, especially on that defense, who were there – when the main angst that the Seahawks and the players had with Russell Wilson was he was a little bit too corporate or he was a little bit too close to a Pete Carroll to where if Russell Wilson made a mistake, well, I mean, you know, hey, it had to be someone else's fault or, hey, look how well he recovered or, hey, look how well he fought through that or, well, it couldn't have been his fault, so let's go ahead and blame somebody else. And the players are sitting there going, come on, man, don't fucking bullshit us. He fucked up. Go ahead and say it. Russell Wilson fucked up. And Pete Carroll never did. And that Legion of Boom defense and some of those guys really resented that. So that's still a stench that's lingering now going into the 2021 season. So we'll see. We'll see in that situation. So, uh, yeah, the Bears make sense. They have a 1,000-yard rusher in David Montgomery, a number one receiver in Allen Robinson. The defense is one of the best in the NFL. Uh, Wilson would be a more winnable, would be in a more winnable dis- division than the NFC West. When you take a look at the NFC North, 
Yeah, Green Bay still has Aaron Rodgers, but they need to improve on defense. Minnesota has Kirk Cousins, a talented wide receiving core, and Jefferson and Alan the- uh, Adam Thielen, Thielen, top five running back, and Dalvin Cook, but they need some improvement on the offensive and defensive line. And Mike Zimmer, how many years are you going to underachieve here as your coach? And Detroit is going through a transition period with Jared Goff as their new uh, quarterback, and you also have to uh, deal with a new coach and a new GM. So that's strictly a rebuilding process out there in Motown City. So maybe Russell Wilson takes a look look at that division and is like, okay, there we go, there we go, there we go. It'll be interesting. So moving forward, man, I just want to find out, well, who's going to blink first in terms of you're staying or you're going? Who's going to be determining that? And how much farther is this saga going to go between Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know, but damn it, man. June 1st is coming where the first tall tale sign is going to be laid out to us, whether Russell Wilson is staying or going. I don't care either way, but please make up your mind and let's go. World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's happening? What is going on? Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom. Konnichiwa. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's happening? Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. NBA news, the Atlanta Hawks fire Lloyd Pierce. Pierce was hired ahead of the 2018-19 season, compiled a 63-120 record in two-plus seasons with the Hawks. This season, Atlanta's in 11th place in the Eastern Conference with a 14-20 mark. The Hawks began the season 10-9, but lost 11 of their next 15 games. Who's the coach? You know who the coach is. Former Portland Trailblazer, former Indiana Pacer head coach Nate McMillan, reluctantly agreed to serve as the Hawks' interim coach and only accepted the position after conferring with Lloyd Pierce about the uh, firing and saying it was okay, getting his blessing on Monday. McMillan has 16 years of head coaching, NBA head coaching experience with Seattle Supersonics. I forgot about the Seattle Supersonics, where he played most of his career. He uh, coached the Supersonics, the Portland Trailblazers, the Indiana Pacers, compiling his 661 and 588 record, winning percentage of 53%. I think it's a good hire. 
I, I thought, you know, the Pacers fired McMillan the last season after he coached the team for four straight playoff appearances but failed to get out of the first round. I think one of those losses were was in seven games to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know we lost another one to the Boston Celtics when Victor Oladipo got injured and they really didn't have enough firepower. And th- in fact, I think they lost to the Celtics twice in the first round along with the uh, Cavaliers. So, you know, McMillan is a guy, he's a good coach. He's a solid coach. Um, I think he's more than a transitional coach. His problem has always been the style of play. Um, I remember the Pacers, one of the reasons why the Pacers were looking to move in another uh, direct direction and got uh, Nate Borkman, Bork, Bjorkman off of um, Toronto was the fact that this was a guy who was going to bring in a new tempo and a sped-up tempo, and he was going to shoot more threes, and he was going to be a little bit more creative outside the box thinking and all these types of things. And if you take a look at the record, what the Pacers are right now, they're a couple of games behind uh, below 500. So really, when you're speaking about the uh, the transition or when you're really speaking about the replacement of Nick McMillan with Nick Bjorkman, and taking a look at the record so far, it's again, it's a complete and total wash. So that's always been the situation with Nick McMillan, a guy who's going to slow down the tempo, a guy who's going to focus mainly on playing defense. When he was with Portland, he had Brandon Roy and Greg Oden as his two best players. No chance that you're going to be doing the Paul Westhead type of offense. This ain't going to be running gun when you have those type of guys. And he also had to work in Brandon Roy with his knee was starting to uh, give way, and he was starting to uh, have bone-on-bone type of knees. So he couldn't play at a fast pace, even if he wanted to. Indiana, <clears throat> Larry Bird, <clears throat> who hired him at, at uh, for the Pacers, didn't give him any speed to for him to work with. Now, with him, you have John Collins, you have Trey Young. Let me tell you something, fellas. Some of the stuff that you were do, doing with uh, Lloyd Pierce, namely not playing any defense, that stuff is no longer going to be happening with Nate McMillan. Nick McMillan's tough, Nick McMillan's old school, but Nick McMillan is also fair. And I think you're going to see a lot less usage of Trey Young, and I think you're going to see a lot more defense being attended to. Trey Young, I think his defensive effort has gotten a lot better over his first couple of years, but yet and still, he still is a way below average defender and a lot of times still has lapses in terms of the effort given on that end with Nick McMillan, despite the fact he's Trey Young, I don't think he's going to be getting away with that type of nonsense um, for the for the long term. So I think the change, somewhat surprising, because, you know, only so far the Minnesota Timberwolves, so early in the season, has fired their, fired their coach. But when you take a look at the expectations that were placed upon Atlanta and the fact that this was going into the second year of higher expectations for Pierce and he was failing with those expectations not saying it was wrong not saying it was a horrible it was a justifiable fire for Pierce who still I think has the opportunity to rebuild his career and get another opportunity five six years down the road if he so desires so but the Hawks were geared up to be a playoff team this season no Question about it. I think the teams that were going to make the jump or the teams with the expectations to make that jump from being out of the playoffs to making the playoffs were the Atlanta Hawks, at least in the Eastern Conference, were the Atlanta Hawks and the Washington Wizards. And so far, both of those teams are on the outside looking in when you're speaking about going for the playoffs. So it, it had to be. The Hawks spent a lot of money in free agency to go ahead and bolster their roster. Now, uh, Dino Gallinari. 
Danilo Gallinari, excuse me, I sound like Shaq on that one. Danilo Gallinari was a guy who had some injuries to deal with. Chris Dunn was another acquisition that had been paid out. Uh, Bojanovic, uh, the free agent they acquired from Sacramento, still hasn't made his mark yet because of injury and COVID. So those are some things with the Hawks that really didn't play well for Lloyd Pierce. But yet, still, when you're losing 11 out of your last 15, you're not playing any defense, and the team doesn't seem to be getting any better in those key areas, then, yeah, it's justifiable for what happened, especially when you have such a veteran presence as your head coach, a guy with over a decade-plus experience with um, Nick McMillan sitting there. And the fact that Nick McMillan said, hey, you know what, before I go ahead and take the job, let me go ahead and check this out with Lloyd Pierce and let me go and uh, see if this is going to be okay. I think that's going to go a long way in the locker room. So when we're taking a look, the NBA All-Star game is coming up very soon. I don't even know when it's going to I think it's going to be this weekend, right? Isn't the All-Star game this weekend? I have no idea. You have a bunch of guys who say they're not interested in playing and <sighs> Kevin Durant's not going to be playing. A couple of others aren't going to be playing. So it's like, okay, man, whatever. So I'll watch it, but I'm not really into it, especially with the attitude, especially with the fact that it's not going to be a two-day event. I, I haven't watched the slam dunk contest, I think, in over a decade, a decade and a half. Zero interest in it. Zero interest in the three-point uh, competition. Zero interest in the skills competition. I think it's great. I think it's great that the NBA puts that on on a Saturday night. But uh, for me, maybe it's my get-off-the-lawn type of mentality right now with my age group, but I'm just not really into it. And I saw the participants for the slam dunk contest. It was like, eh, eh, reserve, reserve, reserve. Really nothing there that can make someone say, wow, you know, this is going to be a springboard for this guy to uh, go ahead and do some things. This isn't, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell turned it down. Zion Williamson turned it down. Some players that could really have used that um, – slam dunk contest to kind of up their up their presence within fans of the NBA but they said no so we're moving forward so you know the Hawks the question is going to be with the Atlanta Hawks and the only reason why I bring this up is to uh, build on a much broader topic than I want to get into because look the Western Conference I saw that game last night between the LA Clippers the LA Lakers I saw the Clippers and the Celtics but I also saw the, the uh, second game, which was the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers were without Marcus Gasol. They were without Kyle Kuzma. Lost um, to the Suns, even though Devin Booker got ejected. Yeah, kind of a wishy-washy type of call there. But, you know, Chris Paul played a fabulous floor game. The Phoenix Suns led basically from pillar to post. Good win, solid win for the Suns, who are one of the surprise teams. Whoever thought that a team, an NBA basketball team, that was owned by Robert Sarver would be in the position that they're in right now. But that key acquisition of Chris Paul, Deontay, uh, DeAndre Ayton has played much better. His defensive skills have gotten much better. His expansion of his offensive game has gotten better. He's been a uh, positive influence, um, and he's been a great asset for Paul to work with. I like Miles Bridges being a 3 and D guy. Their bench is strong. I think Monty Williams is one of the better coaches in the NBA. You, you put all that together, especially with the momentum that they had off of the uh, bubble experience that they had this past off uh, this past season going down to Orlando. Orlando, it could uh, it can only help. So the Suns are no joke. A couple of hiccups for the Utah Jazz, but they still remain. I think. 
uh, as of right now, the best team in basketball until Anthony Davis comes back. I think the Lakers are going to be sputtering just a bit. I think that the break for L.A. is coming up uh, is, is at an opportune time. Kawhi Leonard focusing on back spasm. Here was a guy who missed a game last night against the uh, Boston Celtics, but I think even without Kawhi, the Clippers played well despite losing. Boston starting to turn things around, namely Kemba Walker starting to turn things around, playing much better. Marcus Spart is still out. The Celtics still have problems, especially with Tatum and Brown getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. But still, Tatum Brown, still two all-star players in their early 20s, who you want to continue to develop, continue to build around. Again, Kimba Walker, I think, is going to be the key. Um, so the Celtics turning things around just a little bit. Good victory over the Kawhi Leonardless Los Angeles Clippers. But that's the Western Conference. The Western Conference still had its uh, meat and potatoes to deal with with the Eastern Conference. Bringing this up because, look, you take a look at three teams. Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Those are the only three teams in the conference that have that are at least two games over 500. You take a look at the seedings between 4 and 12. The number 4 team in the Eastern Conference and the number 12 team in the Eastern Conference. Boston is number four. They're currently at 18 and 17, one game over 500, four games ahead of Cleveland, who's the number 12 seed. Their record is sitting at 14 and 21. Now, I'm not saying that Cleveland is going to be a real threat to make the playoffs. Like the young backcourt of Darius Garland and Colin Saxon, Larry Nance, a um, solid guy in that rotation. Don't know what they're going to do with Chetty Osmond. Um, Kevin Love, don't know when he's coming back. Don't know if he wants to come back. Don't know if he's trade bait. Don't know anything about that. But after a pretty solid start, J.B. Bickerstaff and the boys at Cleveland seem to be fading just a tad. So I'm not here to make the argument that Cleveland, the number 12 seed, is going to have a realistic chance even to get into that 7-10 to 10 playoff situation at the end of the season to try to get into the real playoffs for the Eastern and Western Conference. My deal is just this, man. You, you go ahead and you take a look. Boston, number 4. The number four seed, 18 to 17, they're a half game ahead of the none other than the New York Julius Randle led Knicks and the Toronto Raptors. Those two teams, the Raptors, the Knicks, or the Knicks or the Raptors, Toronto sitting at the number six seed, the Knicks sitting at the number five seed. What a deal by Tom Thibodeau. What a job he's doing so far as far as with this Knicks or with this Knicks team is concerned. The Celtics are only one game ahead of the Miami Heat. For the number seven seed and a half game, a game and a half ahead of Charlotte for the number eight seed. And if you take a look at Miami, the reigning Eastern Conference champions, getting back some of their players, even Joe, even though Jimmy uh, Butler missed the game against the um, against the Atlanta Hawks the other night because of an injury. But you're going to count out those guys. Speaking about the Indiana, uh, speaking about the Miami Heat, those guys are going to be on the rise. And you know what? I saw Charlotte play the other night against. The Portland Trailblazers. And I have to tell you, I like that team. I'm not talking about liking the team in terms of them trying to do some real damage or being a real threat to the Bucks or the 76ers or the Brooklyn Nets. I'm not talking about that. But I think they've got a nucleus there that they can build on. And for Michael Jordan, who was rightly so much maligned for him being an owner, some of the moves that he made, including signing Terry Rozier, 
is including signing Gordon Hayward to that four-year, $100 million, $120 million contract. They got themselves a nice team. Now, against Portland, Hayward didn't play, but Malik Monk coming off the bench to be that off-the-bench scorer in the role of a Jordan Clarkston, I think has done a good job with that. LaMelo Ball is showing you that, you know what? Hey, Charlotte, you've got somebody that you can build around. And when I say you've got somebody you can build around, I'm talking about you got a guy where other star players are going to want to go play. Because with the salary cap in the NBA, not the, 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 the five or six or seven top players in the NBA, they all can't play for the Lakers. They all can't play for the Clippers. They all can't play for the Miami Heat. They all can't play for those squads. And I think you've got somebody like a LaMelo Ball. It's the same thing with Milwaukee, with Giannis. Giannis is a generational superstar. Potentially. Right now, he's the best player, one of the best players, top five, top six, seven player in the game, and he's only 25, 26 years old. If a guy who is a solid number two, if there's a player entering free agency in the next few years who's a 1A guy, or it can be a solid number two guy, normally he wouldn't even think once. He wouldn't think for a nanosecond about going to Milwaukee. But the attraction that Milwaukee can throw a player of all-star stature who could be a solid number two, who could give Giannis that number two running mate that he would need to go along with a Chris Middleton, to go along with a Jerule Holiday. They can say that, you know what, Milwaukee might not be a free agent destination. Milwaukee might not be L.A. or Honolulu when it's in, in the months of January or February. But guess what? We've got ourselves a strong organization. We've got ourselves a strong team. And we've got ourselves a player in Giannis who you can play with and who can win a championship with. You think Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, when LeBron was building those teams in Cleveland, you think that Kevin Love was yelling and screaming for Minnesota to trade him to Cleveland because he can go ahead and visit the uh, the, the lake? So he could go ahead and go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame all he wanted to? You think Kyrie Irving was there for the while being happy to be playing in Cleveland? No, it was because LeBron James was there. That's the reason why. And I think with LaMelo... Being in Charlotte, and let me tell you something. Charlotte, even though it's a uh, state that voted red, even though it's the state of Jesse Helms, even though it's not, shall we say, the most cosmopolitan type of city, it's still a city where that area is growing. That area is being inundated with a lot of black professionals. It's a city that's becoming more diverse. And it's a city... You think of it, redneck, NASCAR, and all that kind of stuff. Not the city of Charlotte. It's becoming more urban. It's becoming more diverse. Basically, it's becoming more attractive to a player who, if they're looking at their free agent destinations, and they're not going to be interested in the Lakers. They're not going to be interested in the Heat. They're not going to be interested in the Mavericks. They're not going to be interested in the Clippers. They take a look and see LaMelo Ball, who, 24, 25 years old, can be one of the top players in the NBA as far as his position is concerned. They take a look at that and they say, hell yeah. And maybe some of the cachet of Michael Jordan being the owner, maybe that sparks a little bit in him. But before that, people weren't going to Charlotte because Jordan was the owner. Hell no. Jordan had to overpay Gordon Hayward to go to Charlotte. Jordan had to overpay Terry Rozier to go to Charlotte. Now in the years to come, because of LaMelo and because of the growth of that area, I don't think it's ever going to be a Miami. But you take a look at those other teams in that southern region. You take a look at an Orlando. 
You take a look at an Atlanta. You take a look at some of the uh, Texan states. Charlotte, why not Charlotte? Why not Charlotte? Again, with the nucleus that they're building. So I'm not uh, speaking about the Hornets being a real player in terms of upsetting the apple cart this season. But with LaMelo, who is next level passing and seems to be having that confidence at his age, starting to have that confidence in terms of that it factor. Like LaMelo all of a sudden now knows that he's something special, but yet and still he's not gloating. Yet and still he doesn't play like it in terms of, oh yeah, I'm the shit already. He doesn't have he doesn't have that Kobe Bryant back when Kobe Bryant was his age type of attitude, that delusional type of confidence. He's confident and he's aware of his special gifts, but I think he's also willing to be coached. He's willing to be patient and learn. And he's knowingly in tune with the fact that this is a journey and not a sprint. You know, he's in Charlotte right now. His potential is like him going from Charlotte to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And right now, he's just right now, just right outside of Tennessee. So he's got a long way to go. No matter how fast you want to drive, you ain't getting to Albuquerque, New Mexico in four hours or in five hours. Same thing with LaMelo, him being a superstar. It's not going to take him. You, you can't get to be superstar stature. You can't get to be a difference maker. You can't get to be that franchise player, that truly franchise player, that Kawhi Leonard franchise player, that LeBron James after five or six years franchise player, that Tim Duncan type of franchise player. You can't get there in 15 games. You can't get there by the All-Star break in your first season. You can't do that. Even if you're as good as someone like Luka Doncic, who's a transcendent uh, type of talent. Even with someone like Giannis. You take a look at some of these young cats that are coming up right now who are doing some things, who are putting into work, who are making a name for themselves, who are building their brand, who are saying, I want this league soon to be mine. When you take a look at the superstars, when you take a look at the best team, when you take a look at the player with the most impact, it's that guy over in L.A. with the receding airline who's been in the league for 17 years and going down as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, NBA basketball player who's ever lived. LaMelo ain't getting to that point anytime soon. LaMelo ain't going to be able to compete with something like that anytime soon. So he's going to have to take his time. He's going to have to be patient. And that's exactly what he's doing. Charlotte right now, still a game and a half out of the fourth seed, but right now currently the number eight seed. And who would have thought for a long time this season that Terry Rozier would have been a better bargain for the Boston Celtics than Kemba Walker. Now, again, Walker recovering from energy, uh, injury, starting to turn things around a little bit. We'll see what happens after a week or two of the uh, after he comes back from the All-Star break. But for the 2020-2021 season, moving forward, so far, the winner of the who's better, who's been playing better, who's been more valuable, who would you rather have, Terry Rozier or Kimba Walker, especially when we're speaking about contracts that, that they sign, the winner, without question, would have been Terry Rozier. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So speaking about the Eastern Conference, speaking about how crowded it is, speaking about how competitive it is, Boston as I mentioned before, a half game ahead of the Knicks and the Raptors, a game ahead of Miami, a game and a half ahead of Charlotte, and two games ahead of Indiana and Chicago for the number 9 and 10 seed, and only three games ahead 
of the of the Atlanta Hawks for the number 11 seed. So you're taking a look at that lineup. You're taking a look at those teams. A bad week, a bad stretch, a bad road trip. You could see yourself out of the playoffs. You could see yourself being lined up to play against a Philadelphia or a Brooklyn in the first round if you're not careful, if you're someone like the Celtics. Don't think that the Knicks, don't think that the Raptors, don't think even someone like the Heat who's starting from too far behind are going to be able to catch the top three seeds in the Eastern Conference. But man, oh man, you're speaking about what's the difference between a number four seed and the difference between a number nine seed, what's the difference between a number six seed and what's the difference between another a number 10 seed. Those are the things that we're going to be talking about. And with the Eastern Conference being so jumbled together, who's going to be that team that's going to make that trade? Which one of these teams that we're talking about, whether it be Charlotte, Chicago, Atlanta, Boston, the Knicks, Toronto, which one of these teams are going to be buyers and which one of these teams are going to be sellers and which one of these teams is it more apt for them to try not to make the playoffs? If you're going to be the eighth seed or you're going to be the seventh seed and you're just going to be cannon fodder for the 76ers or for the uh, Brooklyn Nets, is it really going to be worth it when you're having an upcoming NBA draft that's going to be filled at least talent, uh, the talent is going to be top heavy for the first six or seven picks of the draft? Is it going to be worth it? Maybe if you're someone like the New York Knicks, maybe if you're someone like the Charlotte Hornets, maybe you get that exposure, maybe you get that experience for some of your young guys. But if you're the Atlanta Hawks, if you're the Toronto Raptors, what do you do in this situation? If you're Toronto, do you still have the belief that with the core group that you have, namely Kyle Lowry, namely Fred Van Vliet, namely OG Ananobi, namely Pascal Siakam, that you have the firepower, you have the experience, you have the talent that once the playoffs start that you can get in there and make some noise? Or do you go ahead and, you know, there's some rumblings and grumblings about the possibility, the thought process of maybe Kyle Lowry being uh, traded from the from the Toronto Raptors with a destination being the Clippers or a destination being the Philadelphia 76ers, even though with the Clippers, they keep saying the Clippers because the Clippers need a point guard, but who do the Clippers have on their roster that could be enticing to the Toronto Raptors? Who are you going to throw in there? Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly. They don't have any draft picks because they gave all their draft picks away to Oklahoma city. You ain't getting rid of Paul George. You ain't getting rid of Kawhi Leonard. You ain't getting rid of Zubac. Who wants Marcus Morris or Marquise Morris or one of the more uh, fellas? You ain't trading Luke Kennard. No one wants him. So basically, your assets are kind of spent on what you can do to get a player of that caliber of Kyle Lowry if you're the Los Angeles Clippers. So that maybe leaves teams like the Philadelphia 76ers. The Milwaukee Bucks don't need a point guard. The Phoenix Suns don't need a point guard. The Utah Jazz don't need a point guard. So if you're Toronto, do you just hold on and keep it going? Or what do you do? Masai Ujiri has always been a guy where it's kind of like, you know what, I'm thinking outside the box. I'm doing what I'm doing to try to win right now. No loyalty here. None of that nonsense. It's all about winning basketball games. So what do you do? It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting moving forward. So right now in the NBA, man, a lot of good stuff going on. Everybody's crumpled up 
Everybody smushed together. Everybody is cheek to cheek in the Eastern Conference. Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? With the NBA trade deadline coming, I cannot wait to find out. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello. Namaste. Konnichiwa. Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum. Que pasa? Bonjour. Bonsoir. Monsieur. Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're doing great. Come on, man. We can do this. Let's see what we can do to turn this place around, man. Listen, learn, learn, listen. Do what we need to do. Do it for your children. Do it for their children. Do do it for your grandchildren. Do it for your friends' children. Set the example. Be a role model. Do what you need to do. Just do it, man. Just go ahead and do it. We can all do it. Man, to hate somebody takes so much effort. Takes so much effort. Negativity. I heard the great Gary Knoll once say that, you know what, you can be a vegan and have the greatest diet in the world, and you could be a workout warrior and all those type of things. If you have a negative attitude, and if you're stressing and doing all this kind of stuff, all of that other stuff that you're doing to keep yourself healthy and fit and everything negates all of that stuff. So I'm not saying that you should go ahead and eat burgers and fries and chips. Basically, I'm not saying that you should do the Wendell Wallace diet 45% of the time and be happy and cheerful and you're going to live to be 100. But what I am saying is that your attitude and your smiling and your positive outlook and your just dealing with stress in a positive way is uh, plays a role in how healthy you want to be. How much of the life expectancy do you want to uh, get to? The Lord says that I got you for 85 years. Are you going to do things to uh, cut it down to 63? So if, you know, we all got an expiration date. I don't know what mine is. I don't know. It could be 55. It could be 51. It could be 91. I don't know. have no idea. But I'm going to try to uh, get as close as possible while still enjoying my uh, fries and my um, corny salad burritos with three rolled tacos with guacamole and my Red Robin burger and their endless amount of fries and my chips and a little bit of my uh, soda and all those type of things in moderation. Also have my juices. Also have my smoothies. Make sure I eat my carrots with the peanut butter as a snack. Make sure I get my celery intake. Make sure I drink plenty of water. And uh, make sure I have the best disposition to uh, keep stress away from me as much as possible. The world we live in, I know it's tough, man. I know it's hard. But, um, you know, I want to live for as long as possible, however that may be. I want to be the healthiest corpse in the morgue. So there you go. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. 
Time for me to talk about my favorite subject, my Georgetown Hoyas. You know, I don't want to just talk about the fact that they've won four out of five. I don't want to talk about the fact of how well they've been doing in terms of reaching the expectations, superseding the expectations. I don't want to talk about the great job that they've done in just a normal, blase, talkative type of way. I want to spruce it up a little bit. I want to go old school a little bit. I want to go Brent Musburger a little bit. I want to bring in a little bit of flavor. I want to bring a little bit of old school. I want to bring a little bit of panache. I want to bring a little bit of creativity into my presentation, into my beginning, into my thought process, starting the journey of this podcast, of this segment. I mean, speaking about my Georgetown Hoya. So I'm going to get amped. I'm going to get hyped. I'm going to get ready. And I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to start this presentation on my Georgetown Hoyas just like this. Remarkable season for my Georgetown Hoyas continued with their third win in their past four games at McDonough and their fourth win in five games with heartfelt wins over DePaul and Xavier. Against the Musketeers, the Hoyas jumped out to a big lead and showed guile, moxie, determination, and growth in holding off a furious rally to deliver a crushing blow to the NCAA chances of the now 13-6 Xavier's one. Chudier, Chudier, Chudier. The senior graduate transfer from Northwestern State has been the backbone and MVP of the recent two-game winning streak, averaging 17 points and 10 rebounds in those games. With Belay stepping up and becoming the Hoyas' best player, Georgetown is giving notice that their best is yet to come. America's coach Patrick Ewing had the Hoyas playing their best basketball of the season. And with the Big East Conference Tournament right around the corner, my Hoyas are primed to do some damage. And welcome back to my humble town home here in Northwest Las Vegas, Nevada. For today's podcast, Wendell's World of Sports with George Truly Wendell Wallace talking about what's going down in the world of sports. We talked about the NBA. We talked about Russell Wilson. We talked about J.J. Watt. We talked about a lot of things concerning the world of sports. Gave me my little story about high school seniors. And now we're going to talk about what's happening with my Georgetown Hoyas, baby. Overall, currently have a 9-11 record. Overall, 7-8 and eight in the Big East. One game behind Providence and St. John's, another team that's overachieving. The Hoyas, and I say, you sit there and go seven and eight in the Big East, and you're up there dancing like you're Martha and the Vandellas. You're out there dancing like you're James Brown. You're up there dancing on the ceiling like you're Lionel Richie. Come on, man. What the fuck are you talking about? Well, when you hear in the preseason, rightfully so, that Georgetown unanimously was picked to finish last in the Big East Conference, yeah. There were times I came on this podcast when they were in that five-game losing streak after Amin Muhammad signed the five-star recruit that's going to help change this program around, I'd said, you know what? If Georgetown finishes 3-23, and I don't give a shit. I think at the time they were 3-6, and 3-7, and seven, some nonsense like that, or 2-7, and seven, some nonsense like that. And I was like, hey, look, this year, don't give, a, don't give a fuck. Don't give a flying flip about this season because we got Jaden Billingsley coming in. 
We got Tyler Beard coming in. We got Ryan Matambo coming in. We have Jordan Riley coming in. And we have Amunu Muhammad coming in. So this season, who cares? I don't care. And I was born, and I'm still in. The fact that they're not going to be making a tournament, any type of tournament. It's like, I would love to see more T.J. Berger. I would love to see more Colin Holloway. I would love to see Kobe Clark. I would love to see Jabari Sibley. I would, hell, even though I think he's probably going to transfer after this season, I would love to see a little bit more of Malcolm Wilson in terms of what's happened. I would, hell, even like to see a little bit more uh, Timothy Ego F.A. But Coach Ewing wants to win games. So he's going to stick with the guys who are going to win in games, and those are seniors, and those are guys who aren't coming back outside of Dante Harris and Cutis Wahab. But our best player, as I mentioned before on my little my little deal there, was Chudier Bile, a guy who, goodness gracious, stakes alive. I, um, for his basketball playing, at the beginning of the season, and up into the uh, break, or it wasn't a break, but the game's being postponed because of COVID, I, I, I had no idea. Zero idea of why he was playing, of why he was getting minutes. He was getting anywhere between 15 to 19, 20 minutes. But I had no flipping idea why that that guy was terrible. He took bad shots. He created turnovers. He didn't create for anybody except for the other team on his turnovers. He played like he had no idea or concept of how to play the game. And I was sitting there going, I mean, outside of maybe being a physical presence on defense and getting rebounds, what was the difference on offense between him and Jabari Sibley? I'm not saying that you should have given all of Chudier's minutes to Jabari, but if Chudier was going to play 18 minutes, instead of having him play 18, why don't you just have him play 15 and give three minutes to Jabari? And instead of Jamarco Pickett playing 38, why don't you play him 34 and give those four minutes to Jabari? So at least he's getting anywhere between 7 to 11 minutes per game. And I still feel that way about um, Javon Blair who's always playing until he got benched. He's always playing anywhere between 37 to 40 minutes a game. He can't play 32 minutes, and you can't give five of those minutes to T.J. Berger. If Don Carey's going to play, you can't give two of his minutes to T.J. Berger. If Dante Harris needs a break, you can't give a minute or two of his minutes to T.J. Berger so he gets six to eight minutes per game. You can't give Kobe Clark a couple of minutes. Kobe Clark... Comes in the first game against UMBC, gets 10 rebounds, and he's never seen from again. I don't know what's going on in practice. I don't know what's going on with him off campus. I'm not saying there's anything wrong or anything like that. Or I'm not saying he's doing anything bad or there's any trouble or anything like that. But if you're speaking about a freshman, especially dealing with the uh, situations that we're doing dealing with right now, I mean, we don't know how well these guys are adjusting to life with COVID them being 18, 19 years old, this being the first time that they've been away uh, from home or being on a college setting. We don't know how they're reacting to that. We don't know how they're dealing with that. I mean, hell, us as adults are having a hard time dealing with the COVID situation. Imagine being 19 and being in a great city like Washington, D.C., and you don't have the opportunity to go down to the uh, the clubs and hang out with the women and go down to Howard and say hello to those beautiful young ladies. You have to be stuck in a uh, dorm room. Where all you do is, I don't know if they're, I guess they're taking classes online and going to practice and going back to their dorm room. Jamarco Pickett made the fact that, you know what, I live 10 minutes away from campus. I haven't seen my mother. I haven't visited my mother and sister in months because with me playing college basketball, I'm not allowed to. So, you know, with the minutes, the way Ewing is allocating the minutes, we, we don't know. 
We don't know um, more than just what's going on in practice. Yeah, it's easy for dopes like me to sit there and say, Berger should be getting eight minutes a game. Sibley should be getting 11 minutes per game. Clark should be getting five minutes a game. But I don't know what they're doing in practice. And, you know, as of right now, these guys are going to be four-year players, maybe five-year players if they take advantage of the NCAA allowing this year to basically be a wash. So I believe they can come back still a freshman. So there's an opportunity for those guys to stay four or five years in college. Maybe Ewing is using this situation as a foundation to build. So, hell, I don't know. Maybe they can be successful in the totality of their collegiate experience at an institution like Georgetown University, a university as tough as Georgetown, where if you get the diploma, if you get your degree there, I mean, you know, hey, moving on up to the east side without Florence and and, uh, George's mother. But still, it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's really hard. So I don't I don't know. There's more to it than just those guys should be playing just because. So getting back to all that, you know, I was very content to have Georgetown stink out loud this year. Mentally, I was ready for it. I didn't get too upset when they lost to Navy. I didn't get too upset when they blew leads to Villanova and West Virginia. I wasn't sitting there going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe we almost beat the No, 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 no. No, West Virginia and Villanova weren't playing as hard as they should. And it was earlier in the season for them also. So they, they were still learning and they were still growing. But no, there were no heartaches. There were no what-ifs. And even with Georgetown being 9-11, and 11, especially with now the news that the NIT is going to be down to, what, 14 or 16 teams and all going to be playing in a bubble in Texas. The fact that Georgetown is not going to be making any type of tournament, that doesn't bother me. I mean, this season was a wash. This season was exhibition. This season was a glorified Kenner League as far as my mentality and as far as following them is concerned. I mean, this year I'm not going to be losing over sleep if they lose the league. This year I'm not going to be, you know, ranting and raving and can't believe in if uh, Georgetown has a bad record. I was set for that. I was set for 5-18. and 18. I was set for 6-20 and 20 or 6-19. and 19. I was set for that type of deal. I was set for Georgetown to be last or next to last or really close to last in the uh, Big East. What's going to bother me? What's going to uh, cause me any type of regardless? But um, what they've done, remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. They're, they're six and three since resuming the season after COVID-related issues suspended their season for a few weeks. They played well in the road loss to Villanova. They won at Creighton. They won at um, they won at the Paul. Yeah, they laid an egg against Creighton in the uh, rematch, and yeah, they lost against Connecticut. Man, when they play them nine o'clock games, jeez, they are beyond awful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're just tired. I mean, you're 18, 19, 20, 24 years old. Come on, y'all, and you're playing on television. Come on now, you gotta be. Yeah, that's not an excuse. When you're my age, yeah, anything past eight thirty or nine. Yeah, it's, boy, I don't want to be here. But it's like, man, y'all are young. Come on now. Kidding me? Y'all should be like, y'all should be like running all night long. Just like I was back in the day. But, um, yeah, so they, their home games or their nine o'clock game, Eastern Standard Time starts. They've been flipping awful. Even in their victories, flipping awful. But, uh, again, outside of that embarrassment that was Creighton at home, uh, since returning from, their postponement of the season, they've been great. Well, they, they, they've played beyond expectations. 
For them, quality wins over Creighton on the road and DePaul on the road and home victories against Providence, Seton Hall, Butler, Xavier. Now, are they Gonzaga? Are they, I mean, are they beating Gonzaga? Are they beating Baylor? Are they beating Michigan? Are they beating Illinois? Are they beating um, Texas? No. But take a look at this squad. Seriously, if you're a Georgetown fan, take a look at this squad and tell me where were the nine wins going to come from. Outside of Coppin State, you probably thought we were going to beat Navy and UMBC. Outside of the preseason, tell me where the other six victories were going to come from. Maybe DePaul and St. John's twice. Okay, that, that revs it up to six. Where else were we going to win? What other game did you see? Maybe Butler? Split with Butler? Did you see us beating Providence? Did you see us beating Seton Hall? Did you see us beating Creighton? Did you see us beating Xavier? I didn't. I sure didn't. And the fact that we're eight and seven and eight and have a chance to be 500. And if loopiness happens and craziness happens for the Big East tournament, we're going to have a bye to where we don't play on the first day. Shit. You're going to try to tell me that Coach Ewing doesn't deserve some type of uh, acknowledgement for the job that he's done? Craziness. Craziness. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, I don't know. The jury is still out after four years if Patrick Ewing can build a program. That we don't know. But one thing we do know is he can't coach. If he fails as a coach, it won't be because of his exes and O's, his game, his, uh, his, 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 his game uh, situations and all that kind of stuff. The man can coach. If he loses his job, it's because he won't be able to hold on to recruits or not enough high-end recruits are going to want to be able to play for him or get there and realize that they don't want to play for him, and we're going to be going through what we're going through every two years, which is a mass exodus of players, and we're going to be playing with limited um, talent on our squad. It is always going to be wait till next year, wait till next year, wait till next year. After four years, Ewing is one game over 500. I'm willing to see what he does with this recruiting class. By Aminu's second season, I want Georgetown to be in a tournament. If those guys stick around for a third season, those guys should be solid NCAA competitors. I don't think Georgetown, even with the recruits that we have coming in, depending upon who comes back, I don't want Jamarco Pickett coming back. The man is 24 years old. Let him go ahead and do his own thing. Uh, Javon, uh, Javon Blair. I've seen enough of Javon, Javon Blair. I've seen enough of his selfishness on offense. I've seen enough of his 3-for-12s. I've seen enough for his 1-for-11s on the three-point shots. I've seen enough of him shooting 37% and shooting 17, 18 shots per game. I've seen his inability to, to score at the rim. I've seen his inability to try to break down defenses. I've seen his inability to uh, not look opposite on passes. I've seen enough of Javon Blair to know that enough is enough. Thank you, Javon. 1,000-point scorer. Did what you had to do. Fantastic. But the new crop of Hoyas is coming in. I don't know if you're going to play in Canada. You said that you wanted to become a coach. You can go ahead and start your journey on becoming a coach. Good luck to you. Hopefully that you'll uh, graduate. Nothing against you. I don't know you personally, but I, I've just I've just had enough of seeing the Javon Blair four for fifteen shooting performances. I just just don't want to see it anymore. Been seeing it for two years. Enough is enough. Same thing with Jamarco. Love them. Love those guys for sticking it out for four years. Great on senior night that those guys got to win against Xavier, but I don't, enough. Let me see what TJ Berger has. Let me see what 
If he's still going to be sticking around, if he's still going to get, if he's going to get some time, let me see what Colin Holloway has. Let me see what uh, Kobe Clark has. You know, if Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett return to Georgetown next year, if I'm Kobe Clark or if I'm Jamar Sibley of those guys, I'm like, see you later. Especially I can transfer and not have to sit out. If I'm any one of those freshmen, I'm leaving. Why in the hell am I going to waste two years playing behind guys like uh, Pickett and um, Blair? Enough is enough. And then I'm going to be over-recruited by guys he's got coming in now? If I'm Colin Holloway, why do I stick around? If I'm Kobe Clark, why do I stick around? If I'm Jabari Jamari Sibley, why do I stick around? Hell, even if I'm TJ Berger, why do I stick around if Javon Blair is going to come back and play another 40 minutes a game where he's going to be shooting, what, improve his average to 38% overall and maybe improve his three-point shooting to 33 or 34% while he's creating nothing for me on offense and turning the ball over four times a game? Yeah. The only guy, it's amazing that I'm saying this, the only guy I want coming back from the seniors that we have or the guys that are eligible to come back that don't have to is Judy A. Bile. Because I think that he fits a need that we're going to have next season. Which is a guy from the um, front court who can score. A guy who can take somebody, I can't believe I'm saying somebody who can take somebody off the dribble and score. Or someone who can hit a wide open three. If, if Chudie can just learn from this season just a little bit, you know, that's, I wouldn't mind having him back for, a, for another season and have a starting lineup be Dante Harris, Iminu Muhammad, Chudie, um, Cutis, and what, maybe Jordan Riley? Maybe something like that? I wouldn't mind that, that uh, lineup. Maybe a Kobe Clark. That's a team where I think can get into the NIT. You don't, you don't go 9-11 and 11 to all of a sudden making the NCAAs with uh, freshmen. Ryan Matambo, even Aminu Muhammad, they're not program changers day one. This ain't Kentucky that got Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and Anthony Davis, but still needed Terrence Jones to win themselves a championship. This isn't Zion, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish that came in for Duke and did what they did. I mean, those type of players are not going to college. They're going to the G League. I mean, pray to Jesus that Chet Holmgren, who's still considering Georgetown, or at least has Georgetown on his list, I mean, you know, maybe he'll shock the world and go to uh, Georgetown, but even him, he's not a big enough difference maker for Georgetown to go from the squad that they have now to a squad that's going to be making the NCAA tournament or a team that's expected to make the NCAA tournament. So, you know, Chudier, come on back and help with the process. But uh, I think it's been absolutely amazing. And I think it's been absolutely fantastic what uh, what Patrick Ewing has done. Has done. And for all those idiots who want to sit there and say that Patrick Ewing can't coach, I've said this before and I'll say this again. Name me a situation where a coach is going to come in and within four years of taking over the type of program that Patrick Ewing got into when he became the head coach at Georgetown four years ago, how many of those coaches would have been solid NCAA uh, uh, teams right now? You take a look at his first year, nobody was expecting anybody anything from Georgetown. The, 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 the cupboard was bare of talent. Tremont Waters, their number one recruit, he left, he decommitted and played for LSU for a couple of years, and now he's sitting the bench or going back between the Celtics team and their G League team. 
but he was supposed to be that guy. He decommitted. So you had Jesse Govan, you had Marcus Derrickson, you had Jonathan Moore, and you had a couple of other guys. And still, Georgetown got close to a 500 record or near a 500 record. You can think a pretty shitty John Thompson Jr. type preseason as far as competition is concerned. But, um, you know, that was something. Then, his second year in the program, he does bring in a pretty good recruiting class. But no five stars. He brought in James Akinjo, who was uh, ranked somewhere between the 80s and the 95s. He brought in Matt McClung, who was a three-star guard. He brought in Josh LeBlanc, who was a four-star guy from uh, Louisiana somewhere in the 80s. And those three made the all-freshman team. Akinjo was the Big East freshman of the year. That team was in contention to make the NCAAs. And finishing 19-15, and 15, they made it to the NIT. That was in Ewing's second year, relying mostly on freshmen. Freshmen who were not one-and-dones. So it was those three. Jesse Govan, and uh, who forgot what the, who the, who the other guy was. But, but basically, those guys didn't underachieve in Ewing's second season. They made the uh, NIT. Now, the third year brought in Omir Yurt 7. And with those players coming back and the accomplishments that they had their, fresh, uh, their freshman year, speaking of McClung and LeBlanc and Akinjo, that was going to be the team that was like, okay, now you're going to go ahead and make the NCAA tournament. Now, that should have been the team that... The expectations were you make that next that next step. But what happened? Akinjo leaves, McClung leaves, a couple of their other recruits, Galen Alexander and Miles Gardner, they both uh, transfer. They have some off the court situations that prevent them from staying on the team. Akinjo and Ewing didn't see eye to eye. LeBlanc was pouting because he didn't get any playing time or he wasn't starting. So uh, and it, even after those defections, Georgetown was still a team that had to be reckoned with. They went and blew out LS, uh, SMU. They went ahead and beat Syracuse at the, uh, at the, uh, on their home court. And they were still playing well. But what happened against uh, uh, Richmond? McClung gets injured. So now McClung is out. Their leading scorer. At the time, their best player. He goes out. So up steps Javon Blair. And so they're doing work. And even still with McClung out, those guys were in contention going into the final weeks of the uh, college basketball season to make the NCAA tournament. But what happens? Omar Yurt 7 twists his ankle. And he never comes back, or he's never the same player again after missing a multitude of games. And yet and still, with a team that had Terrell Allen, Jagan Mosley, Javon Blair, Cutis uh, Q- uh, Wahab, Timothy Ego Hefe coming off the bench, and a couple of others basically playing with six players, Georgetown go to Hinkle Fieldhouse and beats a ranked uh, Butler team before they basically ran out of gas. And even running out of gas because they played with six players, they were still in the game into the final minutes against Villanova, against Providence, against those guys. You're going to try to tell me that fucking Patrick Ewing can't coach? What the fuck's your problem? You've been watching basketball? You've been watching Georgetown play? You know their backstory? Instead of watching and just taking a look at the overall record, Open up the book and read it. Instead of waiting for the movie to come out to find out what kind of coach Patrick Ewing is, instead of waiting for the cliff notes, instead of waiting for someone to tell you you don't know what the fuck they're talking about, do a little homework, do a little research, research, and find out why my hopes are so high as far as Patrick Ewing building this Georgetown University program. 
So third year, all of that shit happens. Then going into the fourth year, McClung transfers. So now what do you got? What do you have? COVID hits. They're late to campus. They can't practice as much as everybody else. And yet and still, they still have this record that they have right now. Come on, man. You're going to fucking try to tell me that Patrick Ewing can't coach? Get the fuck out of here. Again, coaching and program building are two different things. Now, if Aminu Muhammad leaves after one year and he's a second-round draft pick and Beard and Riley and a couple, Matambo, those guys transfer, then yeah. We're going to have to have that talk to see if Patrick Ewing is still going to be the coach of this team. If that happens, I'm not anticipating that it does. And I'm looking for better things on the horizon for Georgetown. And I feel confident in saying that because Patrick Ewing is going to be our coach. I'm very happy about that. So, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Great wins. Quality wins. Look, DePaul sucks. They're in last place. Dave Lato not getting it done. All right, fine. But, man, did I enjoy that game a lot more that uh, Javon Blair didn't play because it gave T.J. Berger a chance, Colin Holloway a chance, playing some, actually playing. They hadn't played in so long. And gave some extra minutes to uh, uh, Jamari Sibley. It was great. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still high on T.J. Berger. Despite the yips that he had at the end of the Xavier game, where it was kind of like, ooh, not ready. I still have... Um, I still have great hopes for Berger contributing next season. If you take a look at the freshmen that are going to need to contribute outside of maybe Sibley, of course, Dante has already established himself as the point guard for the next four years. I think of that freshman class, the guy who can make a really good impact is T.J. Berger. I really do, because Georgetown's going to need some shooting. As great as Aminu Muhammad is, he's not a three-point shooter. As much as Jordan Riley is a tremendous athlete, he's not a shooter. Matambo, low post player, not a three-point shooter. Billingsley, not a three-point shooter. So someone on that team is going to have to be able to uh, shoot from the three-point line. And I think Berger is going to get the first chance, the best chance, to uh, be that guy. So I thought he played well. Coach Ewing made the point that uh, Berger played well. Against the poll, I'm, I'm just interested to see moving forward now, starting off in Kinder League. I'm already just throwing away the season. But um, I'm interested to see the Berger development, hopefully praying that he stays the entire time at Georgetown University. So it was a good win against DePaul on the road. Then, again, came back against Xavier, 172-66, winning on defense, not having to score 80-plus points to uh, win. Um, six players were in double figures. Or, sorry, four men were in double figures. Ewing used a six-man rotation. The five starters and Blair accounted for all but four points. So, look, the game was ugly. I don't know if it was. I don't know when we get these guys on our home court, the lack of atmosphere or whatever, but it seems a lot of times that, like, Providence was a great example. Um, West Virginia, Villanova was a great example. Last night, Xavier was a good example. Seems like these guys play to our level. It's like, it's like as bad as we start these games, you know, Providence, Xavier, and those guys, they were just as bad. Oh, look, the two teams against Xavier for the first 10 minutes of the game, the two teams combined for four turnovers in the first 87 seconds. Georgetown's only points of the game for almost eight minutes 
were three-pointers. So there was more, Georgetown had more turnovers than field goals for almost eight minutes. But you would think, well, shit, this game's over, right? No, 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 no. Xavier was just as bad. After starting the game three for five, they missed 14 of their next 16 field goal attempts and shot 33% for the half. <laughs> just like, what the hell? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I have no idea. Connecticut played an ugly game against Georgetown when they played at McDonough. It's like, man, if these guys were any halfway, if these guys were halfway good, they would be kicking Georgetown's ass right now. They should be up by like 15 or 20. Good grief. But look, Georgetown was rolling, took advantage of it, finally got some things going. And uh, with about, what, nine minutes left to go in the game, they were ahead, 12 minutes left in the game, they were ahead by 19. 53-43, 54, give me, 53-34. To which I said, I'm not comfortable. Because I know Georgetown can go on a seven-minute scoring drought and the other team can finally get their legs together. And I'm still not fully confident in Georgetown reacting in a positive way when a team makes a run. So, yeah, a 19-point lead with 12 minutes left? No, not not comfortable at all. A 19-point lead with six minutes left with Georgetown? No, not comfortable at all. A 19-point lead with three minutes left? Georgetown? Maybe. Possibly. Maybe. But no. So, back-to-back threes from Belay. Extended Georgetown's lead to 19 with 12 minutes left. Then they had a 16-point lead, 60-44, to with 9-19 left to play. And that's when Xavier finally started putting the uh, backfield in motion and got themselves back into the game. Georgetown was getting good looks. Don Carey missed a left baseline 12-footer. Jabari, uh, it's not Jabari, uh, Jamarco missed a couple of wide-open threes from the uh, right side. Um, Dante, I believe, missed a corner left three. And Xavier just started making shots and making shots and making shots. And before you know it, before 14 left to go in the game, the lead for Georgetown was cut to four, 63-59. And I'm sitting up there going, well, ain't that a bitch. But after that, Pickett found Belay, cross-court pass, right corner for a three, making it 66-59. Then after a pair of Xavier three, uh, free throws, making it 66-61, both teams kind of struggled down the stretch. Devon got a little, not a little, he got a lot selfish in trying to do it himself. But uh, Xavier, after getting to 66-63, couldn't get any closer than that. Uh, Blair fed into um, Jamarco for a foul, made a couple of three uh, free throws. And then after Dante Harris was picked off driving to the basket at the 128 mark with Georgetown up 68-65 with a minute 58 to play, Don Carey stripped the ball down low. Pickett was fouled on the handoff exchange. Made the free throws, 70-65 with 57 seconds left to play. And it was, you know, breathe, breathe, breathe. I think we're going to win. So, yeah, the roller coaster known as the Georgetown Hoyas basketball team, it'll take you on some crazy rides, man. That shit is more crazier than taking LSD. Not that I've taken LSD, but... For those who have taken LSD, it's a crazy trip, man. Well, let me tell you something. If you want a, if you want a crazy trip, watch a Georgetown Hoya basketball game when you're caring about Georgetown basketball. It'll, it'll, it'll take years off your life, man. Years off your life. Life. I, I like Belay 
being in the starting lineup. I don't know about you, but I like uh, Chudier in there. And I would not mind seeing Blair come off the bench for the teams. I don't know what. They got Connecticut and they got the Big East tournament. So what, maybe final two, three games at the very most. I'd like to see Blair come off the bench. I think the starting lineup of Harris, Carey, Belay, Pickett, and Wahab would do well. Number one, it would ensure that Blair wouldn't play 40 minutes. I think giving a little bit more time to carry is a, a tremendous help. But um, that's what I'd like to see moving forward. So Saturday they're off to the wonderful world of Connecticut and Stores, Connecticut. And uh, let's see if we can get it done. But I'm, I'm very proud of this team, extremely proud of this team. In a season where I was just going to have to grin and bear it in terms of the losses and look for silver linings, manufacture civil li- sil- uh, silver linings about this team, no need to. They've given us plenty. And as I mentioned before, the best is yet to come. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final segment of the program. Special dedication going out to those who fight for unity, for equality. Special dedication for those who protect us. Special dedication for those who truly protect us and who are not domestic terrorists. Special dedication for Those who teach the children, special dedication for those who protect the children, special dedication for the parents who are raising fabulous kids, special dedication for the children who are learning to be outstanding human beings so they can move this world forward when everything is all said and done, special dedication for those who are going to be helping solve the issues of the world like climate change and pollution in our oceans and wars and factions, special dedication for those of the younger generations who are going to be problem solvers to fight those who are going to grow up to be problem givers. (laughs) So special dedication just going out to everyone living the world in peace, love, unity, and harmony. Ain't enough of you. Let's see what we can do to get some more. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us again. Final segment of the program. Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast one of the greatest gymnasts who's ever lived. Right up there was Nadia Komunich, Mary Lou Retton. I don't know anybody else. Gabby Douglas. Simone Biles making her presence felt outside of the gymnastic space. Listen to this uh, courtesy of the Today Show. Overnight, one of the world's greatest athletes calling out a post that sparked major controversy on social media. Superstar gymnast Simone Biles reacting to this picture and caption posted by ESPN's Sports Center Twitter account. The image, which was credited to a different account and has since been deleted by Sports Center, shows a group of notable male athletes, including Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Tom Brady. Sports Center's caption read, So many goats, or greatest of all time. Who's yours? Biles responding on Twitter. There are so many women I can think of that belong in this photo, yet there are none. The four-time Olympic gold medalist reaction, striking a chord, 
That was my exact first thought, said one Twitter user. Another adding, exactly, so many amazing female athletes who should be in this pit. There is actually one female athlete in the image, but you have to really look all the way on the right side to spot tennis legend Serena Williams. Overnight, Biles sending today a list of athletes she feels could have been included, including Katie Ledecky, Alex Morgan, Sue Bird, Simone Manuel, Allison Felix, Lindsey Vaughn, and Megan Rapino. adding, this is just a start. So from the report, thank you very much to uh, for the audio, um, for the, today's show. So from the report or the audio, seemed like SportsCenter tweeted an illustration with the caption, so many goats, greatest of all times. Who's yours? The illustration, which was drawn by an artist who goes by Day X Sleep on Instagram, or should I say on Instacheat, not on Facegram or TikTok, um, had Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Lionel Messi, <laughs> geez, Floyd Mayweather Jr., I guess personal character doesn't play into that then, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, and numerous others, plus actual goats. Now, now, maybe if they would have had a bunch of women around surrounding some goats, poor taste, might have been some poor taste, even though we know the meaning of what he was trying to put down. But So basically, again, Jordan, LeBron, Muhammad, Brady, Tiger, Lionel, Floyd, Ronaldo, and some others. Well, Biles noticed that there were no women in the image and... Um, tweeted, there are so many women's I can think of. There's so many women's. There are so many women I can think of that belong in this photo, photo, yet there are none. So Biles sent today, today's show, not today, a list of athletes she would have liked to see represented in the illustration. Katie Ledecky, Alex Morgan, Sue Bird, Simone Manuel, Allison Felix, Lindsey Vaughn, Megan Rapino, and the Williams and the Williams sisters and Biles didn't name herself. Look, I mean, right up there, Simone, I mean, Ledecky and all those, those are nice. Sue Bird, those are nice and worthy. You got to put yourself in there. Even if it's kind of like, oh, really? Come on, man. Who's going to sit there and complain? Oh, yeah. Talking about the greatest of all time. She's going to name herself. God, what an arrogant bitch. Nah, uh-uh, uh-uh. Like if Jordan is going to start naming all-time great basketball players, and he doesn't put himself in there. It's like, come on, man. Don't, I mean, you know, don't play it for a fool. I remember Federer said that was like, oh, you know, are you the greatest of all time? And he's like, well, I don't know. And this, that, and the other. And other people going to come along. And what does that really mean? Is that, just say you're the greatest of all time. Or at the very least, say you're the, one of the greatest of all time. I mean, even if you don't want to say, fuck yeah, I'm the greatest of all time. What are you talking about? At least say, eh, I mean, you know, in the conversation. I mean, you know, Grand Slam champion. All time. How many weeks have I been number one? Come on. Hello. So in that situation, yeah. Simone, it ain't. Don't worry about it. Saying that you're one of the greatest of all times. Yeah. No one's going to give you any flack for that. But SportsCenter eventually deleted the tweet due to the responses in the comment section. Good for the comment section. How about that Twitter comment section actually uh, doing the right thing? So... It was good for that. There was another point made about that tweet, too, that people brought up, which is absolutely correct. Tom Brady, this was, I guess, uh, I guess this was uh, inspired by Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl 
he was like, man, I can't believe it. 43 years old and Tom Brady winning another championship. He's got to be the GOAT. He's got to be the GOAT. This is unbelievable. Continuing to play into his you know, early 40s like this. This is awesome. I can't believe it. More indication that this guy's the greatest and everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl. Yeah, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl at 43. Yeah, it was an unbelievable achievement. Yeah, people should be giving each other high fives. Yeah, at that moment, people should be bowing down to Tom Brady for what he did. Yeah, all of those things. True, no question about it. But let's kind of put it in context, please. He also won the Super Bowl as a passenger on the train where the conductors toured Super Bowlsville, where the defensive and offensive lines, along with the balanced offense and the featured uh, running plan, running game plan, and a fucking awesome job by the defensive coordinator. I mean, this, this wasn't somewhere it was like Tom Brady had to go 47 for 56 for 445 yards and six touchdowns and let the team back to win a Super Bowl 54 to 51. You know, let's, let's kind of calm down on that. Brady, hey, again, not to take any away from him. What he did, unbelievable, fantastic, this, that, and the other, you know, give, give, give your brother a pound, all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, let's, let's, let's just kind of calm down to all of a sudden saying that puts him as the goats of the goats or the greatest of the greatest when you bring that up, but you forget exactly what Serena Williams did. At 39, she made it to the semifinals of the Australian Open before, you know, losing in straight sets to Naomi Osaka, who is by far the best player in the world right now. And I believe she's, what, in her early 20s? So here comes 39-year-old Serena Williams. She beat uh, uh, Halep in straight sets. She's still one of the top players in the game today. And she's 39. And before that, she was back to playing at high level after giving birth to her daughter, daughter Olympia. A birth that threatened to uh, to kill her. A birth that caused a life-threatening embolism which forced Williams to stay in bed for six weeks while she recovered. She damn near died after giving birth. And she comes back, and she's still one of the top players in the game today? Again at 39? This is tennis? This is an individual sport? She can't rely on a partner? She can't rely on a coach? She can't rely on somebody else? Serena didn't have a defense to try to negate the powerful first serve of, of Osaka. She didn't have a special team to help her out against her uh, Naomi's forehand. She didn't have anybody else to help her out like that. Tom Brady had an offensive line. Tom Brady had a running game. Tom Brady had a defense. If Tom Brady would have felt the same amount of pressures that Patrick Mahomes did, Tom Brady wouldn't have been celebrating his sixth Super Bowl as uh, his seventh Super Bowl championship. I mean, hell, after all the pressure that they paid on Patrick Mahomes, if they would have done the same thing. If Kansas City would have done the same thing for Tom Brady, Tom Brady might not be playing football again at 44. The way that those guys beat up, bruised up, knocked down, knocked around Patrick Mahomes. They would have done that to Tom Brady? Shit. Passenger, my man. Passenger to Super Bowlsville. Serena at 39 didn't have that. She didn't have that. And Williams also won the 2017 Australian Open while she was eight weeks pregnant. Now, Tom Brady, <laughs> have you ever tried winning a, a, a prestigious tournament pregnant? Let me tell you something, man, it ain't easy. 
Oh, how do I know? I might look like, you take a look at my belly, it might look like I'm four months pregnant with quadruplets. I'm going to work on that sooner or later. But yeah, to be pregnant and to uh, still win the Australian Open? Come on now. And since giving birth and coming back at the age of 36, she's made the Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals twice and uh, reached two uh, major semifinal Grand Slams. The 2021 U.S. Open and the 2021 Australian Open. So she's still a formidable player. And I don't want to hear some bullshit about, well, then the competition must really suck. Fuck you. (laughs) Number one, it doesn't. And number two, even if it was halfway mediocre, of what she's doing at her age after giving birth, unprecedented. Now, Kim Kleister had a child, and she came back and won the U.S. Open, but... The consistence of excellence that Serena is showing since giving childbirth again, which almost killed her. That's GOAT status. So if you want to talk about, woo, Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl at 43. I think what Serena did at 39 and coming back at 37 and then making it to the finals in an individual sport like tennis. Yeah. Superseding. Superseding. I want to have to go with Serena on that argument in terms of uh, who's greater, who's better. So, again, the generation after mine and the generation after that, could you please educate yourself on some history, please? You're taking a look at a whole bunch of goats that weren't named, and you should have. Because when you exclude athletes and heroes and unbelievable athletes like Joe Lewis, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Sugar Ray Robinson, uh, Vitrak Kali, Archie Moore, Wilma Rudolph, Pele, Edwin Moses, the team Martina Navratilova, Michael Phelps, Babe Dickerson Zaharias, Jesse Owens, Babe Ruth, Florence Griffin Joyner, Diego Maradona, Gordy Howe, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Bruce Jenner, um, Billy Jean King. Come on, man. Come on, man. Sachin Tindal, 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 what's his name is? Sachin Tindal Ka. One of the greatest cricket players who's ever played? Come on. Come on. You got to do better than that. You got to do better than that. It's an impossible argument. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the greatest? This, that, and the other. Because, again, what's your definition of greatest of all time? If you're going to put Muhammad Ali at the greatest of all time, I've heard this argument before. Ali was at his best when he was 210 pounds. Could you imagine him fighting someone like uh, uh, Tyson Fury? who's 6'9", weighs 260, and can actual, actually box. Now, I'm not here to say that Tyson Fury is a better boxer or a better fighter than Muhammad Ali, but what I'm saying is you can't compare eras. Joe Lewis fought at 185 pounds and was considered a massive heavyweight. You know, Diego Maradona played in a different era. Pele played in a different era than Lionel Messi and Ronaldo. But when you're taking about greatness and greatest of all times what are you comparing it to are you just going by eras are you going by totality are you going by impact are you going by impact both on the field and off are you just going by shoe brands are you just going by how much merchandise he sold what are we doing here where are we going here because none of those guys that were in that picture especially that fucking jackass floyd mayweather jr has never, has not made the impact of a fighter of someone like an Archie Moore or a Rocky Marciano or a Joe Lewis or a Sugar Ray Robinson or a Sugar Ray Leonard or a Marvin Hagler or a Tommy Hearns or a uh, a Jack Dempsey. 
Come on, man. Are you fucking kidding me? A Jack Johnson. Are you fucking kidding me? And that's a Charles. Are you kidding me? A Salvador Sanchez. Are you kidding me? A Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, uh, senior, not junior. Junior is a, is a disgrace. But Julio Cesar Chavez. Are you kidding me? You're actually going to say that Floyd Mayweather was better than those guys? A Henry Armstrong? Really? Based on what? Because of his pay-per-view buys? Because of how much money he made? Is that your definition of all-time greats? I don't know. And then you're going to exclude a sport like cricket, which I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I know those who love the NFL are going to shit. Are, are just going to, your head is going to explode. I know those who love baseball are not going to believe this. But cricket, outside of football and basketball, or I shouldn't say outside of football and basketball, cricket, as far as popularity is concerned globally, is right up there. Unless you're going to try to equate Football, American football, baseball, and what else do we play here? Anything else, any other team sport, cricket, man, when the, when you have a big game for cricket, you have hundreds of million of people watching that sport. Hundreds of millions. If the Super Bowl can get close to 100 million, TV execs in the league, man, they're, they're dancing up and down Manhattan. For cricket contests, they're getting hundreds of millions of viewers from India, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Indonesia. Come on, man. What the fuck are you talking about? Broaden. Expand. Floyd fucking Mayweather. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> that fucking clown. So there you go. My definition, that's why I don't do best of list. That's why I don't have goats. How are you going to compare Joe Montana to Tom Brady? How are you going to compare Sammy Ball to Tom Brady? We wouldn't have a passing game in the NFL if it wasn't for what the impact of Sammy Ball did, being able to throw the forward pass. How are we going to do that? There, there, there is no Tom Brady without the influence of Joe Montana. There's no Joe Montana without the influence of Johnny Unitas. There is no influence of, there is no Johnny Unitas without Sammy Ball. So how do we determine which one is better? Do we go strictly by stats? Do we go strictly by wins? If we go by wins, Donato Graham is the greatest football player of all time. Do we just go by stats? Because this is race then between Drew Brees and Tom Brady. What do we do here? And if we take all of those measurements together, wins, records, impact, which one do we value more? Do we value the impact that Muhammad Ali had? Compared to Muhammad Ali said he's the greatest and he's the greatest and he's the greatest. Was his impact greater than Joe Lewis? Was his impact on boxing? Was his boxing skills better than a Sugar Ray Robinson? He didn't have more wins than Archie Moore. He wasn't undefeated like Rocky Marciano. So what are we equating Muhammad Ali as as far as the greatest heavyweight of all time? Because he shouted out on the greatest heavyweight of all time and he's one of the most influential people who ever walked the earth in the 20th century. Is that what we're doing? It is that how we're equating it by? So I don't know. Babe Dietrichson Zaharias, who was a multi-star, which no one knows about because she did it back in the 1940s. She was great in basketball. She was great in golf. She was a multi-sports star. You could say that she was the Jim Brown, Bo Jackson of female athletes. And then you take a look at Florence Griffiths Jordan. How do we equate? And we're talking about greatest athletes of all time. How is Bruce Jenner 
and triathletes, and tri- uh, those of that high quality, how are they not on the same level as a football player or a basketball player who can only do one thing? Tom Brady's not an athlete. He's a hell of a football player. Tom, a- Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, those guys, don't know, those guys aren't tremendous athletes. They're not 4-240s. They're not benching 350 pounds. They're not doing incredible feats of strength. Athleticism-wise, they're not blowing anybody off the, off the field. They don't have incredible amounts of endurance. Tennis players, especially clay court players, I mean, Rafa Nadal, who's the greatest clay court player of all time, I mean, he can go out there for four or five hours and play tennis at a high level and run around and basically run a marathon if you equate all of the miles that he runs during a tennis match. If, again, if you're going to be playing on a slope surface like clay and you're going to be out there in a five-setter for five or six hours, which has happened from time to time to show their mettle. How do you equate that with someone like a Floyd Mayweather Jr. who's going to be in a boxing ring for 36 minutes? Who knows? Who knows? But it's just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. These, these, that's why I don't get into greatest of all time. I don't, I just don't. It's silly. It's ridiculous. A lot of the time it's spur of the moment. It's in the moment. You know, are we going to be saying this? If, if Patrick Mahomes in the next seven years runs off seven straight championships to get to eight Super Bowls in nine years, are we then going to say Patrick Mahomes is the greatest of all time? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? So that's my thing about that. But yeah, for the younger generation, get a book, get a history book, and why this shit isn't being taught in school. Why aren't we learning about Joe Lewis? Why aren't we learning about Jack Johnson? Why aren't we learning about Babe Dietrich and Zaharias? Why aren't we learning about Billie Jean King? Why aren't we learning about uh, Florence Griffin Joyner? Why aren't we learning about Wilma Rudolph? Why aren't we learning about Babe Ruth? Why aren't we learning about the Negro Leagues? Why aren't we learning about these things in our history class? Damn, Wendell, would you want people to go to school for 18 hours a day? No, it doesn't have to be that way. But you can let these kids know. You can let people know the importance of who these people were and their contribution to society. Hey, man, again, laws don't change people. You can make a law saying don't do this. People are still going to do this. You can say a law, you can write a law saying that you will not discriminate people based on their skin color or on their gender. That's not going to get people all of a sudden say, yeah, you're right, let me go ahead and treat this black person or let me treat this woman or let's treat this Hispanic or let me treat this gay person with a little bit of respect. That's not going to, a law by politicians or by, that's not going to change their mind. But these folks in the public eye, whether it be actors, entertainers, athletes, it has been shown that those are the ones who carry the biggest influence of the direction that this country is going. So, again, why it's not being talked about, why it's not being discussed in schools across the world, I don't know. But I can't find, for those in Brazil, if they're a bigger person in terms of an influence for the uh, culture and for the cl- for that country than Pele to the fact where he shouldn't be even be talked about in the school books for Brazilian history I don't know I don't know all right I'm out of here man I am done 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 well thank you very much for listening to the program and uh, I'm gonna end with a little theme. I'm going to end the, today's podcast with the Doobie Brothers because what I need to do with my podcast, Wendell's World in Sports, 
I need to take it to the streets. I need to take my podcast to the streets. I need to bring it to you, and I need to bring it to you, and I need to bring it to you, and I'm offering it to you. Take it. Listen. Engulf it. Enjoy it. It's fabulous. It's wonderful. It's hard work. Labor of love. Love what I'm doing. So I'm going to take this bad boy to the streets. And let them folks know. Telling me about the things you're going to do for me. <laughs> I ain't blind and I ain't what I used to be. But I'm taking it to the streets. I'm going to head out west and take it to the streets. I'm going to go up north and take it to the streets. I'm going to head down south and take it to the streets. I'm going to head back home to the east coast and I'm going to take it to the streets. I'm going to cross the seas and go over to Europe and take it to the streets. I'm going to go down to the motherland, Africa, and take it to them. I'm going to go over to Australia and take it to those streets. I'm going to go to New Zealand and take it to the streets. I'm going to go to paradise in Hawaii and Fiji and take it to the streets. I'm going to go to the Tongan Islands and take it to those streets. Do they even have streets over there? I don't know. But you get my drift. I'm going to take it to the streets. God bless. Love. Learn. Listen to each other. Make this place a better place to be. Michael McDonald leading the way with the Newbie Brothers. If you would, please. Peace.